in three, two. Welcome to Life and Laughs Podcast. Get ready to laugh with your host, a man who kissed more girls in junior high than Elvis in concert, and a man that got chicken pox twice. Here they are. It's Johnny Sanchez and Elias Israel. Thank you, Mr. Rick Viper, our MC, and my co-host on the West Coast, Elias Israel. What's up, buddy? Hey, buddy. It's been a rough couple of days for me, just dad-wise. I'll tell you that right now. What's going on, man? Well, my eldest of all my descendants, Destiny Tyndall, she, uh, she's off in New York City, making a name oh. for herself. Yeah, she's, she's finishing up her college in New York City, right downtown in Manhattan, which, you know, I'm I'm one of those people who celebrate, like, I want you to go for it and stuff, but one of the problems with being that kind of person is that when they leave, oy vey, it just, when I drove her to LAX just the other day, oh, it was, I, I literally, I just sat in the parking lot, just, just crying, like, I was just, yeah. oh, it was, uh. it was ugly, so I've had, I've had a pretty, pretty emotional week, that, and then I had two more bookings postponed because of COVID-19, yeah. Oh, still uh, going on we're still having effects of covid man yeah, this is crazy it is so all the people who bought tickets for the st louis shows yeah, just hold on to them <laughs> now speaking of your shows you are going to be coming to benton arkansas and i'm actually going to get to be there with you tell us about yeah. that yeah that's going to be fun so this is going to be the first one that john johnny and i get to do a live uh i think we're even going to do a live segment of the podcast at the show and so because of proximity johnny's able to be there and it's going to be a good old time in benton arkansas that's how you say it if you're local benton arkansas good buddy <laughs> of mine good buddy of mine a pastor of a church uh a center point church out in benton um he's letting us use the building and so he said yeah come on in they've got plenty of room so we can social distance and, and all the kind of stuff and so people are concerned listen if you'll go to the grocery store with a mask on and, and feel safe it's going to be safe for you in there in fact we should do a contest we should judge the most creative face mask that people People yes. wear to the show and give them a free T-shirt. Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. <laughs> we should do that, man. We yeah. should do that. And if they want more information about the show, they can just follow you on all your socials on Facebook or Instagram. Sure. Yeah, there's information there about it. And that's coming up Saturday, the 22nd of August. So you guys be there if you can. We'd love to see you. An elephant mask. That's what I want to see. An elephant mask with a big, long elephant shirt, but it's filled <laughs> with peanuts. The whole thing's filled with peanuts. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hey, Elias. Also, uh, we had a great time this week. We've been able to appear on some other podcasts and yeah. also on a newspaper and on their website. Uh, the Hot Springs Village Voice in Arkansas did a write-up on us for the show, for the what we're doing on the Elvis series, which was really nice of Misty Castile. Wrote up an awesome article, and you can check that out. It's on our socials and also on Life and Laughs podcast on Facebook. You can just search that. It's on there as well. And we also did a video that they posted on their website, which is hotspringsvillagevoice.com. That's the abbreviations, though. H-S-V-Voice. 
Com. So go look that up. You can see the video of us appearing with Misty. And then, what an honor, Jamie Kay of the mm-hmm. Jungle Room Podcast invited us to come and be a guest on her show, which was yeah. a lot of fun in the Jungle Room. It was, and there was so much fun that we had that they had to cut out most of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We had a lot of fun behind the scenes kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And maybe we'll do another video of that and release all that. But we are going to have Jamie on our show coming up soon before the Elvis series is out. She's already agreed. And Jamie's just wonderful. You guys need to go check out the Jungle Room podcast. Just search it on all the podcasting sites. Or you can also, they have a YouTube channel that you can check out. Just search the Jungle Room. And maybe the Jungle Room podcast. I can't remember for sure, but you'll find it on YouTube, and then of course they have a Facebook page and Instagram, I believe, as well. So definitely follow the Jungle Room podcast. Hey, man, today is the anniversary of Elvis's passing. Exactly 43 years ago today, on August 16th, 1977, we lost the most famous entertainer the world has ever known in Elvis Presley. Wow. Yeah, and in fact, of course, they did the candlelight visual last night. You could see it online, and I'm sure there's plenty of YouTube videos out there as well. Hey, you so crazy. Elias, I did it again, man. This is back-to-back episodes of the dumbest things that people do, and I've done another one back-to-back episodes. I can't believe this. What is it? I was was, uh, in a hurry. I had an appointment. I was going to my dentist, in fact, and I walked out. It was early in the morning. I always try to make appointments later in the day, but this one was early. I was tired. So I walked out, and the sun was shining so bright. I'm looking down, you know, when that sun's just hitting you in the face. Yes. So I'm, I'm looking down, so I unlock my truck. I open the door to my truck. I've got my backpack with me that I carry. I throw it in, and then I jump in the seat and sit down and start to close the door and look up and realize I got in the back seat. I'm not even in the driver's seat, man. <laughs> I'm in the back seat of my oh, truck. No. I have a four door. I have a four door truck. <laughs> so to play it off, in case my neighbors are looking, you know, I get out and I'm looking around the back seat, and I walk around the other side <laughs> and open that back. Yeah, and I open that back door and start lo- looking like I'm moving. And then I walk around and get into the front seat. I guess I'll just find it later. <laughs> yeah, like, I did that all shucks, that little fist swing, like, man, I can't find it. You know, you snap your finger. Darn it. Man, one time someone was picking me up at the airport, and sometimes I don't know the hosts that are coming, you know. They'll just tell me, uh, they'll tell me, uh, we're going to be in this kind of vehicle, so when you see a white Camry, that's us, you know, at baggage claim. And then we go yeah. to the hotel or whatever. And <laughs> And this reminds me, you telling me this story, it reminds me of one time, uh, they were picking me up in the airport, it was in Atlanta, and I go out, I don't know the host, I don't have a relationship with the host, and, and they, this car is sitting there, it was the description of the car that was supposed to be picking me up, and so I just get in, and... This poor lady, this poor... Now, if you've ever seen the visual of me, I'm a 200-pound, fully tattooed, eye makeup, cheek giant glam hair, bandanas, scars. I got the whole thing. I look like Jack Sparrow coming into your car. And I just get in, and I'm smiling at her. And it's this poor lady, and she was there to pick up her child or something. And she was about, oh, can I help you? It was at this moment that he knew. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> I scared her to death. It wasn't the right car. It was not the right car. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. Hey man, we have one of the best shows that we've had, and it's also a little bit long, so be prepared for that, but it is well worth it. Very interesting. Coming up, we have a girl that dated not only Elvis Presley, but she dated John Snyder, what? Ricky Nelson, Burt Reynolds, what? always in the right place at the right time. You'll hear more about that in the show. <laughs> Diana Goodman McDaniel is coming up on the show. Oh, and guess what? JoJo just told me that we got a special guest coming up at the end of the show to play trivia. He won't tell me who it is, but, but I'm excited. <laughs> oh, that always makes me nervous when JoJo is involved. JoJo, our producer. <laughs> so don't go away. That's coming up and much more right here on Life and Laughs Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop, owned by John Daly, is the largest dealer of Elvis Presley memorabilia in Memphis, Tennessee. Over the past 22 years, the E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop has amassed an impressive collection of memorabilia, ephemera, souvenirs, and original Elvis-owned items, specializing in buying, selling, and trading all Elvis Presley memorabilia. E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop offers artifacts from the amazing career of Elvis Presley and has locations inside Marlowe's Ribs and Restaurant at 4381 Elvis Presley Boulevard, as well as a Tupelo location inside Relics Antiques. Shop online at www.epblvdpawnshop.com. That's www.epboulevardpawnshop.com. Or call 901-949-1977. That's E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop. Life and Laughs Podcast. Recorded live on board the Lisa Marie. Uh On the Celebrity Hotline is a wonderful lady that has lived an amazing life as a former Miss Georgia. She was a regular on the TV show Hee Haw, and she dated Elvis Presley. Welcome to Life and Laughs Podcast, Miss Diana Goodman McDaniel. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for that applause. You're welcome. I haven't been in a crowd in a long time. Like three months. We do this often, me and Elias. We just call each other and applaud each other. We're that insecure. (laughs) Well, welcome, Diana. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Now, you're in Georgia. You're still living in Georgia, I assume. I am the North Georgia Hills. I'm about probably 60 miles north of Atlanta. Is that where you grew up in Georgia? It is, about 10 miles south of Atlanta. Did you have a big family growing up? I did. There's six kids. Well, we're grown now, kind of, and um, a parent. So most of the time there was a household of seven in our house. And we all had... Well, I had three kids. My sister has six. My other one has two. And my two brothers had five. I mean, you know, two and three. Yeah. That's some big holidays. It is. It got to where we had to rent a venue for Christmas (laughs) gatherings. Because you couldn't all fit in anybody's house and have, like, in one room. My mom has a ton of grandchildren and great-grandchildren and one great-great-grandchild. And one not-so-great-grandchild. 
<laughs> you were involved in pageants. Were you involved in them growing up as a young girl? Reluctantly. When I was in elementary school, I entered our little school pageant, and I guess I was fifth grade, fourth grade, something like that. And um, I didn't tell my parents. I, I didn't want anybody to come and watch because I was so scared. I just told them I was going to the school pageant with my friend, and they let me go. They found out later I actually was in it, but it was horrible. <laughs> I was scared to death and uh, wore an ill-fitting dress because I borrowed it from somebody. I almost got nauseated. It was, but it was something <laughs> I was compelled to do. I don't know what it was, but I just wanted to feel what it felt like to be on stage and compete for something. At that point, we didn't have any sport for that age group that I knew about. And so there was this competitive spirit going on. And after that, I decided maybe three years later, well, I started trying out some stuff. I tried out for basketball, didn't make the team. And the coach finally came over and he said, you know what, you just need to go out for cheerleader because you might could get that. I was really tall and thin. So they said, oh, yeah, basketball. Oh, no, not basketball. <laughs> so then I started to, you know, get involved in things where you could compete. I played the girls softball all through school, and then I was a cheerleader all through school. And then when I got to high school, I entered the pageant scene again, and I entered my high school pageant for four years in a row, never won, always 10 finalists, never won, but I just kept subjecting myself to it. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, I went to college to Georgia State, entered everything there, and I got runner-up here and runner-up there. And then finally, I guess I was 24, and I entered the Miss Georgia pageant for the second time, and I actually won that one. I almost aged out before <laughs> I wow. won, because at that time, you couldn't be over 25 to be in the Miss USA. So I was 24, the oldest girl, maybe the oldest girl to ever win. I'm not sure. I'd have to look back now that it's been so long, but generally girls are still in college or, you know, because you win money for school and things like that. Yeah. But I had already left college by that time. Before that, I was in the uh, Miss Atlanta 500, when it used to be called that, the race in Georgia. And then Dogwood Queen, Miss Transportation International. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. Miss Road Atlanta. I just was out there trying to make a name. I thought if I was going to be in show business, I didn't know how to get there from small town Georgia. Yeah. I mean, until Burt Reynolds came along, it was just like a pipe dream. You had to think, all right, I got to go to California or New York and make it. But how? Right. How do you even do that? So I thought, well, maybe there'll be somebody in the audience and they'll discover me while I'm entering this pageant, you know? And yeah. so that was kind of one of the reasons I kept doing this stuff. And you would win money and, you know, win opportunities. So I think when I was in high school, yeah, my a senior, I entered a thing called Miss Lake Bobby. I didn't win, but I got first runner-up. And the prize was you were taught how to water ski, and then you got to be in the water ski shows all summer. Okay. And it was like water ballet. They taught us how to, like, slalom. And there were five or six girls, and we wore matching bathing suits and white gloves. And we would ski around the lake and do a show for all the people that came out to hang out at the lake that day. It was so fun because I got to learn how to water ski. And I was too <laughs> tall to actually do the stunt. You know, where you get on the guy's shoulders and all that. Yeah. So the winner was smaller than me. And um, I always say it's because she was smaller than me that she won because she could get on his shoulders. And uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, so, you were Miss Georgia when you met the most famous man in the world. Tell us how you met Elvis.
Elvis Presley. Well, yeah, I guess I could attribute it to that because I was in Memphis because of the Miss Georgia pageant. I had to go there to do a little promo for two different companies. One was one day and one was the other day. So the day in between, I didn't have anything to do. I didn't know anybody there. So I called a cab to take me to the mall. On the way to the mall, the cabbie was chit-chatting. He was from foreign country like Iran or something like that or India. Mm -hmm. He was talking to me, um, you know, what brings you here and that kind of thing. And so I told him and he said, you know, have you ever been here before? And I said, no. He said, well, you know, Elvis Presley lives here. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I knew that or not. Maybe. But he said, we're going to pass his house. Would you like to stop and kind of take a look? I said, sure. No, I didn't know what I was in for. When we got to the house, he pulled over where the gate was. So I stepped out and then I was going to get back in the car and he said well you don't want to look around I'm like the the gate's closed how am I going to look around you know I'm just standing here looking through the gate <laughs> and he said well you should take your time and I said okay and he goes because my meter's running I don't want to just you know get charged or I can come back you or you know you can walk the rest of the way to the mall well it's june or may it's hot <laughs> i'm in a i've got on a denim skirt and a kind of a red flowery like a western looking shirt yeah. and then like five inch styrofoam platform shoes not styrofoam but court you know what <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and I'm, like, I'm gonna walk to the mall in this. Okay. <laughs> so I'm looking in there, and um, this man from inside the gate motioned me over. You know, I'm looking around, and I see him. He's going, "Hey, hey," and he's motioning, and I'm looking around, thinking, "Is he talking to me?" Because there's a crowd at the gate. It wasn't just me. And I walked over, and I said, "Uh, yeah." He said, "Hey, what's your name?" I said, "Diana." He said, "So, do you live here in Memphis?" And I said, "No, I'm here on business." And, of course, I had to say, I'm Miss Georgia. Well, yeah. <laughs> you put all those years into earning that. You better bring it up. Oh, my gosh. I'm surprised I wasn't wearing my banner. I was so proud. <laughs> said, well, would you like to come in and see inside rather than looking in through the gate? What? I guess, but do I have to buy a ticket or something? He says, no, no, I'm going to open the gate lightly, just enough for you to squeeze through. And you have to hurry because all these other people will push their way in. And I said, so who are you? He said, my name is Vester. I'm Elvis's uncle, and I will guard the gate. I thought, oh, I guess, well, he's probably got some kind of, like, authority. Yeah. I said, well, sure. So <laughs> next thing you know, I'm looking in the gate, and now I'm looking out. And I'm thinking, wow, how did this just all happen? And um <laughs> So just in like 60 seconds, a golf cart appears, and there was these two guys in there. I think one of them was Dave Hebler, and I forgot who the other one was. But they said, hey, you want to go up and see the house? And I said, well, wow, that sounds fun, but is Elvis home? And they said, oh, no, no, he's not here. And I thought, somebody's invite me to somebody's house, and they're not even here. That's kind of strange. But yeah. Yeah. I thought, well, I should be in safe hands. I mean, it's Elvis's house. Surely they security measures and all that. I wasn't yeah, there, afraid. There's multiple men on a golf cart inviting me in. It should be fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm like, well, okay. So I hop on the golf cart and ride up to the house and they go around the back. And so I see all his cars. The Stucks was back there. And then I think there was the Navy Blue uh, Lincoln. Yeah. And then a bunch of other 
cars and like golf carts and things like that. And so we go in the back door that kind of leads into the jungle room. Mm-hmm. And um, they start introducing me around. They took me to the kitchen and introduced me to the ladies in there and then to some of the other guys that were hanging out and um, went into different rooms, music room and, you know, everything that was on that main floor. Yeah. They chit-chatted, asked me about myself and things like that. And then they said, do you want to go into the jungle room and sit down and hang out for a while with everybody? And I said, yeah, that sounds fun. And so we can get you something to drink or a snack. And I said, well, what about, aren't we going upstairs? Because we passed that stairway. And they said, well, no, because actually Elvis was up there taking a nap. And uh-huh. oh, my God, I was fainted because you're <laughs> what? That close to seeing him and is like, nope, lights out. So I thought, well, I'm here. I might as well hang around. So we went to the jungle room. You know, people are in and out. It's like Grand Central. And just people coming in, leaving. Then this little girl comes up on a tricycle, driving a tricycle around in the house. And she came over to me. And I said, well, hello, who are you? And she said, I'm Lisa Marie. And I thought, yeah, he's home. <laughs> he's not going to have his daughter here. Yeah. You know, and he's gone somewhere. So, And I kept thinking, well, he's bound to come down because here's this little girl. <laughs> she was, what, five or seven at that time? She was little. Yeah. Cute little mm-hmm. blonde. And just so carefree and had the run of that house. There's no telling what the <laughs> furniture cost. And she had the freedom to bump it and ride that tricycle like a madman all through there. <laughs> She was just so at home, you know, it just was really, really sweet. So finally, the afternoon wore on, and obviously, Tabby was nowhere to be found at that point. So (laughs) I think it was Dave. So Dave said, would you like me to take you back to your hotel? And I said, yeah, I guess so. So we went out to one of the Lincolns and got in there, and he took me back. And on the way, he said, Elvis wants to know if you want to go to the movies tonight. And I'm like, "Uh, I haven't even met Elvis, and he's inviting me to the movie. He said, well... Well, he told me to ask you. And I said, well, yeah, I guess. What time? He goes, well, I'll pick you up around 11 or 1130 because he's going to rent the theater. So we won't actually get started till about midnight. And I thought, how strange, but fun, fun sounding. So he left me at the hotel. Of course, started worrying about what to wear. I only had a few things because I didn't expect to meet Elvis. You know, I didn't bring my best. I'm like, okay, I had this uh, one dress that I hadn't worn and I was supposed to wear it the next day for the other promo and it was it's a white like a halter sundress with mm-hmm. red polka dots all over it. It's just like a Daisy May. I thought, well, this is not movie wearing clothes, but that's what I got. And so mm-hmm. that was oil that promoting clothes. Yes, that was country girl oil. Right. And had these white, really stiletto heels to go with it. So when <laughs> Dave picked me up, and that's what I'm wearing, <laughs> like I'm ready to go to like some kind of fancy picnic. So we get in his car. I'm like, where's Elvis. He goes, oh, we're going back to the house to get him. I said, okay. So we went back to the house. We pulled up to the front door and he said, you can just wait in the car. And then other cars start to gather, like kind of getting a line and a caravan kind of thing. Yeah. I'm watching the door and suddenly it just kind of flings open and Elvis kind of enters the porch. You know, you, you open the door and you go somewhere, you just walk out and go. But he, he has a presence. Yes. And the door opened like a, a grand ballroom and he <laughs> He stepped out the porch, you know, and he stood yes. there a second, and he looked this way and that way, and he looked my way. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, here he comes, here he comes. And he starts walking right to 
to me because I'm on the passenger side and he walks over to my window. I roll down the window and he says, hello, good to see you and everything. And I thought, you want me to scoot over? And he said, um, I'm glad you're going with us to the movies. And then he walked away and walked around the back of the car and got in another car. <laughs> and I thought, this is so weird. Maybe I have to like pass it pass before he can ride with me or something <laughs> or maybe he need to see me up close <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> but he got in a car parked right beside us that was almost identical to the one we we're in it was another lincoln yeah and so he got in the car behind the driver's wheel and he leaned forward and he looked through the window over to me to the next car and he winked he pulled his sunglasses down and he winked and then he put them back up <laughs> And then he drove off, and we all followed him. And I thought, this is so strange. And um, so then we get to the movie. Dave comes and opens the door, and he said, now, i got to go over a few things with you. You can't touch Elvis. Don't lunge at him. Don't take any pictures. He hates it when friends just start taking pictures, unless it's unplanned, you know. He doesn't yeah. want you, you. You don't need to act like a fan. And I didn't have a camera anyway, so that part was fine. And they said, don't. Don't lunge at him. You know, don't just start talking unless he talks. Just And I thought, I mean, I kind of got it because I'm a stranger. They just picked up from the gate and they're bringing me in the company of Elvis Presley. And so I really got where they were going with it, but it was also a little bit unusual. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'll behave if that's what you want. So um, we, we went in, and there was a row that he always sat on. And they told me I was going to have to sit behind him at an angle, not directly behind him, but one seat over behind him, so he could turn around and talk to me. I'm thinking, <laughs> well, what if I'm sitting beside him? Wouldn't that be yeah. easier to talk? <laughs> and they're like, no, this is how it has to be. And so then there are people on both sides of me, and then he was in front of me, I mean, to my left, and then the seat on his right was empty and then the seats to his left had lots of people going down the road and I kept thinking eventually he's going to move me up to the front seat with him I hope <laughs> <laughs> and so he turned around when he got in everybody got in their seats and he turned around was talking to me and stuff like so what brings you here and you know all that kind of stuff he said I hear you're Miss Georgia I said yeah yeah and then he said um, do you want something to eat you know something to drink or the snack bar is open anything you want you can have and of course I'm a nervous wreck so I just told him to bring me a tab do you even yeah. know what tab is yeah, okay, my mom loved tabs she oh loved yeah tab. yeah I'm type 1 diabetic since I was 4 and I was born in 72 so tab is the drink that we had at the house <laughs> oh that was my go to drink anyway that's what I wanted so he had somebody go get it for me so then he said first we're going to watch I think it was a pink uh, pig, Peter Sellers movie Pink mm -hmm. Panther and we laughed and um, during the movie he would turn around when there were funny things going on to see if I was laughing too like <laughs> making sure I was engaged and uh, I kept thinking wouldn't this be so much easier if I was sitting right there beside you maybe on your feet <laughs> So then that movie ended, and everybody got up and stretched, went to the bathroom, concession stand. And then he said, next we're going to watch another movie, something about, it had numbers in the name. It was like 2001-something, or it was some kind of sci-fi kind of movie, and it was some kind of craziness, people acting weird and, like, <laughs> playing games where you run over people in the road and you get a point and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> 
awful. But at one point, it showed a child getting injured. And he turned around, he put his hand on my knee, and he said, just remember, this is just a movie. <laughs> and it's like he felt that I would feel that. You know, he, I guess as a female, I mean, not him, but me, he, he <laughs> yeah. felt the need to let me know. I must have gasped or something. I don't know what happened, but it was so sweet. It was just <laughs> such a sweet memory. And it was at that time I could see his hand. It, he let it linger long enough for me to see that he had a little black mark on his finger where he like mashed it yeah. or something like that. And I just wanted to kiss it for it. <laughs> 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 but I had been told not to. <laughs> I wasn't an introvert at all, but I wasn't real assertive in that way. Like, until I was comfortable in a situation, I wasn't just like like a gangbuster kind of person jumping right in. So he made all the conversational moves and all the gestures and things like that. And then we watched another movie. I forget what it was, because by then, it was like 8 o'clock in the morning, and we had wow. been there all night. And finally, at the end of the third movie, they said, okay, we're done, we're going home. And he turned around, and he, he took my hand and said, it was so nice to meet you and you know thanks for coming i hope you had fun and then i'm waiting for him to say i'll take you home yeah and he said dave is going to take you back to your hotel i was crushed <laughs> I'm like some date <laughs> <laughs> and there wasn't so, even a pandemic going on at that time right you were six feet away no, socially distant not socially acceptable <laughs> Sadly, you know, followed everybody out, and he Elvis waved. He got into the car he drove, and he had a car full of people with him, both male and female. And then Dave only had me, and so we drove along kind of in silence. And he said, "Do you want to stop and get some coffee?" And I said, "Well, I don't know. I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm just." not in the greatest of moods. Yeah. But I said, yeah, that's fine. Like a Waffle House, someplace like that. I forget what it was. Mm -hmm. So we stopped and uh, I didn't even drink coffee. So I'm like, I let him order me a cup and I just kind of let it sit there and drink water. <laughs> but he said, so Elvis wanted me to get your phone number and um, your address. He would <laughs> like to call you and take you out on a regular date. And I said, well, are you sure? Because these kind of dates are, <laughs> I mean, I had fun, but it's not what I was expecting. Expecting. Sure. And I thought, I wonder if Dave really wants my phone number. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I was thinking. thinking. <laughs> yeah, I've talked to Dave. I'd be thinking that myself. <laughs> well, and, and I didn't want to, you know, speak words that Dave might not even be thinking because he'd probably be like, oh, I don't have any that girl. But anyway, he actually had a pen and a paper in his pocket and pulled it out because I don't know if we traveled with pen and paper like we do now, you know, because I don't even remember having a purse. That's just how far. I'm sure. I did because back in then you had to have a key to get in your room and stuff mm -hmm. and I had to have my lip gloss you know <laughs> Amen. so uh, I said well I guess if you're sure you know because this was kind of weird tonight so I wrote down my name my phone number and my address he said okay he said he wants to call you and I said okay so he took me back to my room and then the next day I did my thing well actually it was that day because I got home early and then I had to work that afternoon and then the next morning flew back home to Atlanta. And I remember walking through the airport thinking, I wonder if people can tell I've been with Elvis. I mean, don't I just look <laughs> like I glow or something? <laughs> or I was... <laughs> I was hoping somebody would stop and say, oh, you look like you have met somebody. You look so happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> you showed up a mere Miss Georgia, and you left there in the presence. Of being, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so 
anyway, I got on my plane, went home. My brother picked me up at the airport. I told him all about it. He said, yeah, right, yeah, right. Took me to my mom. I was at, living with, at my mom's house at that time because when you win a pageant like that, you have a lot of travel and um, you don't get to, like, work at your own job. You have to be at the beck and call of, you know, the crown kind of. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I was living at my mom's through that year. So I was telling her all about it. And she said, you're just making that up. How would you get to meet Elvis? <laughs> I said, well, it's very strange how it all happened, but it really happened. Well, she just blew it off. My sisters, everybody was like, you're just making Because I was a little bit of a, not a prankster, but a little bit. So they had reason to think I was doing like an April Fool. Yeah. You know, I, I, I fancied myself a comedian, <laughs> an unpaid comedian. <laughs> but that's what I wanted to do in my life. I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to do comedy. I loved wow. Carol Burnett, Lou Paul. Oh, yeah. I just loved that kind of thing. And um, so I was always trying to be goofy around them. And so I said, well, I can't go anywhere. I have to be by the phone. The phone was on the wall in the kitchen. And it had a cord like 15 feet long because my <laughs> yep. mom had to have the run of the kitchen while she talked to whoever on the phone. <laughs> so I sat there and uh, I thought, gosh, when is he going to call? I just kept sitting there for days at home. I was afraid to go anywhere longer than a few minutes because you don't have an answer machine. Right. So about two weeks went by and he had not called and I didn't know how to call him. You know, I should have asked for his phone number at that time. I wish I thought. (laughs) And so I finally thought, I had been planning to go to California. I had a, a girlfriend that I went to high school with moved out there, and she kept telling me to come out there, and I could stay with her, and I could try to see if I could land a job or, you know, become a star of something in a week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's yeah. like all these dreams. And uh-huh. I said, you know what? I'm going to California. I told my mom I'm going. I've waited, and this is my chance. And um said, maybe I can get something going on or, you know, live at my friend's house while I look. So mm-hmm. I caught a plane, and she that time was um, living with a guy and so there really wasn't space for me to stay there but she fixed me up a place to stay with a friend of hers Beverly Hills area and then she had her friends come and take me places and kind of show me around in the evening but I really was not getting a lot done during the daytime except laying by the pool yeah. and um, working on my tan. Yeah, that's so about, important. I don't know, three, three or four days into the trip, well I called my mom off and on to check in just to let her know I was safe and sound so I called this one day and she asked me how everything was going and she said by the way you keep getting these prank phone calls some guy says he's Elvis <laughs> and I said I told you he had called she, I said what did you tell him she said well, I hung up <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, she hung up on him twice, and then my little sister hung up on him a third time. <laughs> she's like, Yeah, your refrigerator's running, you better go catch it. And we uh, hung up. Because uh, <laughs> back then, there were two big things that went on you got your house roll of toilet paper, or you got prank calls. That was kind yep. of a sign that yep. people liked you. <laughs> and so she just saw it with some of my high school friends and hung up on the king of rock and roll. Yes. <laughs> And I'm like, Mama, I was like, if he ever calls again, can you please give him my number where I am? He said, well, are you sure it's really Elvis? I said, yes, I'm positive. And so um, literally in about 10 minutes, the phone rang and there was a housekeeper at this house where I was staying and she answered the phone and came and uh, picked up the extension at the pool and handed it to me. And there was this voice that said, hey, baby, this is Elvis. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> on like finally oh my god 
Robert, like a month. I don't even know how long it took. Finally, he said, why did you go to California? I said, well, I want to be an actress and you never called. He said, but I told you I would. I told you I would call and I don't go back on my word. I'm like, well, I didn't know. And I was just, you know, I have, have to have a life. I couldn't just like wait by the phone, although I wanted you to call. He said, well, it just makes it complicated because I wanted you to come to New York with me when I do my concert there. And so now I have to figure out how to get you from California to New York rather than Georgia. Mm. And so at that realization, he didn't realize that when he first made the plan. He's thinking he's bringing me from Georgia. And then when my mom told him I was in California, it became a little more complicated to get me there for that night. But he said, okay, I'm going to try to get a flight. Can you be ready? Let's say two hours. And I'm like, yeah, I can. And I'm thinking, I just got out here. You know, it takes five hours to get to California. Now I'm about to leave, but it's okay. <laughs> and uh, so I said, yeah, I'll be ready. Gave him my address for the house. He's going to have a chauffeur pick me up, take me to the airport, all that. So I hung up, totally thrilled. I thought, okay, I got about another hour. I can get some more sun so I can look like really the Barbie doll, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the phone rings again, and the housekeeper comes out, answers it, hands it to me again, and this time she's not smiling. It's Elvis. He said, um, you know, I just realized with the time change, can you be ready in like an hour maybe? And I said, I think so. I'll do my best. He said, okay, I'll have somebody pick you up in an hour, and then I'm going to still try to find the right flight. I said, okay. So then I knew I had to go in the house and start getting after it. Well, the phone <laughs> rang again, and it was Elvis. And he said, can you be ready in 30 minutes? He said, oh, there is wow. no... Yeah. And I'm covered in iodine and baby oil <laughs> and at the pool, and I've still got a pack. He said, there are no flights that can get you here in time, so I'm just going to have a Learjet pick you up, and it'll be ready when you get there. And I have my chauffeur will pick you up in 30 minutes. And don't worry about packing. I'll get everything you need when you get here. I thought, wow, <laughs> I am packing because I'm not going to spend all my time shopping when I could be with Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> so... To this day, I don't know how I accomplished it, but I showered, washed my hair. I mean, literally crammed everything in suitcases. Nothing was where it's supposed to be. Nothing was folded. And I <laughs> put curlers in my hair and put on some jeans and a little peasant shirt and some big platform shoes. And the doorbell rang. No makeup, nothing. And it was a British chauffeur in a gray suit with the hat. I mean, you could just imagine it's the epitome of a well-bred man. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I walk up to him and he looks at me like Elvis has lost his mind. <laughs> <laughs> in a vision of huge brush rollers, looking like I'd been drugged through the mail, I'm sure, but had all my bags. I, mean, I probably had six or seven bags. Back then, they didn't charge you to carry bags. You could bring right. everything. He got everything. There was a stretch Mercedes limousine. Mm -hmm. He put everything in there and then put me in there, tipped his hat, and off we went. And I'm driving through Beverly Hills with my hair all in curlers and thinking, wow, how did this happen? How did I get here? Because, you know, I had five hours to put myself together. I had my little train case with all the makeup, which I didn't wear much makeup anyway. Back then, I was a little bit of an all-natural girl, and mm -hmm. but I had my brush and everything. I thought, I've got all this time in the air to put myself together before I see him. So off we went. About halfway through the flight, the co-pilot comes back to me, and he says, we're not going to make it. 
and time and at that point. (laughs) I'm glad he added the in time part. That first part was scary. (laughs) Yeah, right. We're not going to make it. And I'm just like, oh, no. We have to make it. And with the time change and the flight time, we're not going to make it. But, you know, the concert will be over. Elvis said to take you over to his airplane, take you off of this airplane and put you on the other one, and he will be there as soon as the concert's over. So the last half of the flight was very disheartening, you know, because where do you go from there? I didn't know. I thought, like, that was one and done kind of thing, and they were going to turn me around back to somewhere. Sure enough. You know, we landed. Rick Stanley and Billy and Dave were out there to meet the Learjet. And so they helped get me off the plane. And I'll never forget, they were arguing like crazy with each other about who was going to carry my bags because they were all Elvis's brothers. Why do they got to carry my bags? But, um, you know, the pilot said, well, Elvis said for y'all to take her and her things and put her on the other airplane. So they were forced, and Ricky complained the whole time, dragging my suitcases over there. I mean, at the time, I felt awful. I said, well, I'll just carry them myself. Oh, we'll do it. Because, you know, here they were, who they are, and forced to be my bag guy. <laughs> they were actually really sweet and um, cordial. They were very loyal to him, but yet they were cautious with females in his life, you know. But, you know, I didn't pursue Elvis, and so they really didn't have any reason to be worried about me. Later that night, after we finally are together, I said, how did you know me to ask me for a date? How did all this happen? And he said that he watching the camera at the gate at yep. that time. <laughs> <laughs> and he saw me at the gate, and he told Vester to find out who I was and get some information. And so he was in charge of all this from the beginning. As I talk about it, it gives me chills even more because he could have anybody. And don't you know there's a million women that come up to that gate that are gorgeous or interesting or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that moment, he just happened to be watching it from his room. And there I was at that time, you know, providentially. And um, he set the wheels in motion. He said he wanted to take me to his house in California so we could hang out when he wasn't working. Because he would talk to me about the schedule and how hectic it was and how everything had to be just right and how the crowd could be dangerous sometimes. I had never seen Elvis in concert. Were you familiar with Elvis and his music? Oh, yeah. My mom grew up during Elvis, and my aunts and uncles, they took me to see movies. My uncle would buy me every new record that Elvis would have, and they just wanted me to know who Elvis was and enjoy his music. And now I, here you are, yeah, face-to-face yeah. with him. I know. And so after we finally got on the other plane, and then he finally got back, when he got on the airplane, he went straight into a curtained-off area that was kind of his dressing and relaxing area I didn't know about about it. Mm-hmm. So, is he not even going to come sit with me after all this? I have not had any food. I've been on an airplane for five hours and now another hour and a half on a tarmac on another airplane. You know, <laughs> no company and he's going to go in that room. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what is going on here? <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you know, the thing I've learned the most out of this is there's a cab driver somewhere out there that never got paid. <laughs> Have you heard those rumors that this guy... I mean, people try to take the mystique away from it all by saying that this cabbie drove around looking for women to bring to Elvis. Oh, <laughs> no. really? I've never heard that. 
I saw somebody write it on one of the pages, and I'll read some of the craziest things. I'm like, no, that didn't happen. That man, I mean, but yeah, I would like to thank him. If I ever knew where he was, I would like to say thank you. <laughs> Next on Life and Laughs, it's Habib. Habib is on to describe the story of meeting Diana. <laughs> I would like it to be thanking you. <laughs> will Elvis ever come out of his room? Will Diana stay or will she jump off the plane with a parachute? Find out coming up after this. For 45 years, Marlowe's Ribs and Restaurant, located at 4381 Elvis Presley Boulevard in Memphis, has been providing the best in Memphis hospitality to locals and visitors from around the globe. Elvis Presley himself loved Marlowe's, and you can even sit in the Elvis booth where he himself ate. Marlowe's has taste that will satisfy anyone's palate, including their award-winning barbecue pork ribs, beef brisket, barbecue shrimp, or their famous Italian style barbecue spaghetti. You can even try the King's signature peanut butter and banana sandwich grilled on white bread and served with two slices of bacon or the Elvis burger, crisp bacon, smoked ham, and American cheese. A burger fit for the King himself. Along with visiting Graceland, visiting Marlowe's for a meal while you're in town is a must. Located only one and a half miles from Elvis's home, Graceland. Marlowe's not only provides a great family family atmosphere and great food, they will even pick you up in one of the Elvis-inspired pink limousines from some of the close-by hotels, shuttle you right to Marlowe's, and drive you back when you're finished. All in the style Elvis himself would be proud of. So next time you're in Memphis, make sure you stop by Marlowe's at 4381 Elvis Presley Boulevard, or you can order online at marlowesmemphis.net or call 901-332-432. 4159. Come enjoy the ultimate dining experience at Marlowe's. Life and Laughs Podcast, where it's more fun than a barrel of monkeys. Wait, who are we kidding? You ever put monkeys in a barrel? Jeez. Welcome back to Life and Laughs Podcast, the Elvis series with special guest Diana Goodman McDaniel. Okay, Diana, when we left off, what a whirlwind of excitement. You had just been whisked away on a plane to see Elvis Presley at his concert, and he had just come onto the plane. You have just seen him, but he goes straight to the back of the plane after you've been sitting there waiting for him on a tarmac for an hour and a half, and you're hungry. You haven't eaten for over five hours, you said, and Elvis goes to the back. <laughs> I think when I landed, his concert was just about to end, according to the pilot. So, you know, he, as soon as it's over, he literally does leave the building. I found out that's very true. So by the time I got to the airport, it's probably 40 minutes. You know, I'm sitting in there, just kind of waiting and anticipating and everything, what it's going to be like when I first lay eyes on him. And is he going to sit by me or he's going to sit in front of me? How's this going to work? Right. Then you can hear the flurry of the cars outside because, you know, they're not at a gate like a normal airplane would be they're out on the tarmac and you drive up to the stairs and all that and so the police cars and the limos racing up so you can see it all unfolding out the window and then yeah everybody starts to run it's always a mad dash because there are always people trying to follow him you know so he's always trying to get away from people so he's got the cape the overcoat kind of thing and he runs up and it's flying in the breeze it's just 
so picturesque, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, um, yeah, he enters the plane and goes directly to that curtained-off area. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so after that, the pilot directs everyone to buckle their seatbelts and prepare for takeoff. So I do what they say, and a couple of people walk back and ask if I'm comfortable, if I'd like something to drink. They offered me a, a Shasta. I took a diet Shasta. That's what Elvis liked to drink, Shasta Cola and root beer. So I had that. They said, let us know if you need anything. I can't remember who it was, but there's people milling around, not really flight attendants, but just people. I just said, okay. So then we fly for a while, and then the pilot comes on and says that we are approaching wherever we were going. I can't remember, you know, it's kind of like a, a blur, a lot of yeah. these moments. I said, oh, okay. So we position ourselves for landing, you know, start to prepare. In a few more minutes, when we're almost ready to put down the landing gear, the curtain opens, and and Elvis has changed clothes. He looks refreshed. He comes just walking down the little aisle, and he's coming straight to me. And he gets to the edge, and he steps over me, and he sits on the other side of me instead of having me scoot in. So I'm on the aisle seat, and it's more like a bench, you know, like a table and a bench. Is this one of the planes that Elvis owned, or is this a chartered plane? I think he owned it. It's the one he had before the Lisa Marie. Well, he, he had the Lisa Maybe. Marie, but it was not running yet. So it's probably the Jet Star, the smaller Jet Star, possibly. Yeah, it was, it was all redone inside. Yes. Yeah, that must have been it. So he sat down, and then he, it's just so, I mean, I can hardly put it in words because here I, I've been waiting for days, weeks for this moment, and I feel so unprepared because now we've had six, seven hours, and my makeup or whatever I wore and my hair had come and gone. You know, I was, I was limp. Like, I felt limp as a dish rag and, you know, not at all prepared to meet this man in a bigger way than before. And he had seen me already at, you know, a semi-best, but he had never seen me really dolled up, you know. And even at that moment, I wasn't going to be. I was going to be cuter, I thought, than I ended up being. <laughs> and I felt so insecure. But anyway, he seemed to look past that, and he sat down, and he said, I am so sorry. He just started apologizing. I'm so sorry. I tried so hard to get you here so you could go with me to the show. And I'm like, you know what? I didn't even realize you were taking me to your show. I thought you were taking me to a show, a concert. I didn't even put it together that I was going to watch him until <laughs> later. Yeah. You know, then, then I was even more upset that I had missed it. You know, here, I had the chance. I was going to be his date to his show, and I had never seen him in concert before. So added more disappointment. And then he took my hand. He was examining my fingers, and I was really into turquoise jewelry. He kind of liked that a little bit, too. You know, he had a little, um, I don't know, not a western leaning, but a southwest look a little bit sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, with his costumes and his jewelry. But he said, oh, you like turquoise jewelry? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And I'm thinking, how'd you know? Because I had it on my neck, my ears, like <laughs> all my fingers. I was a little bit of a, a bohemian type yeah. look. I had a peasant blouse and the hip hugger jeans with the big tall shoes, the bell bottoms, and long straight hair. You know, a little bit, not really hippie, but boho leaning a little bit. What year was so this? Was this 75, 74? 75. 75. Okay, yeah. That gives us an idea of the clothing style, of course. The mid-70s were just like you described. Yeah. 
up, and I just fit right into that mold, I guess. <laughs> Are you even able to speak at this point? He's sitting in front of you. You finally have his full attention for the first time because back in the in the theater in Memphis, you didn't get his full attention. So what's going through your mind? Is your heart racing? What are the first words you say to him? I really, I'm pretty speechless. I'm shaking, you know, because I'm so nervous. Like, is he going to like me? And he's just really a stranger. I mean, you know, when you go on a, like a blind date or something and you don't know the person, you don't know how they're going to feel at you, vice versa. But he immediately started talking like we were friends. I mean, like he, he knew me before or like we had already known each other. He's apologizing and I'm just looking at him, you know, just staring at him and, <laughs> and thinking to myself, it's okay. You don't have to apologize. I'm perfectly happy waiting as long as it takes for you to get here. That's what I'm thinking. And two, I thought, you're Elvis. You're humble enough to tell me you're sorry or be concerned for my comfort or lack thereof. So I was, you know, became more impressed with him and more drawn to him because I was getting a little glimpse of the person of Elvis Presley and not just the performer that I had known about. I saw him a little bit like that in the theater because he had concern from my feelings, you know, if I was scared in the movie or if I was um, unnerved or hungry or he, he, you know, so it began again with his concern for, you know, I'm sorry, um, you know, you probably haven't eaten. I'm like, no. But he said, when we get back, we're going to get some dinner. So, and I think they had a little bowl of uh, some kind of snack on the table and I had my Shasta. And then he asked him to bring him on. So he was drinking a, I think it was a Diet Cola, something like that. Simple. You know, not Dom Perignon, just a Shasta. (laughs) Then he started, you know, he asked me if the flight was good. I said, yes. Pretty much one word answers because I couldn't. I wish I had been more personable. You know, I wish I had just kind of been more bubbly and more talkative. And the way I was back then, too, I kind of waited to gauge, uh, I don't know, how I needed to be. Not that you couldn't be yourself, but what kind of person does this person like? I can be this or I can be that. Both of them are my personalities. Right. But which one fits in this moment? And I didn't want to be all, you know, Gabby and he'd be like, oh, my gosh, this girl's talks too much, you know, something like that. Um, (laughs) So he complimented, you know, on the jewelry after he talked about, sorry, I didn't get there. And he said, because of the time change and how long the flight took, I really thought you could make it. And I said, you know, I was hoping. And so then he talked about the turquoise jewelry and everything. And he kept fiddling with the ring on my ring finger. I'm like, huh, odd. I mean, you know, it was just, he just was very, I don't know what you call it. You know, somebody that holds your hands and they just kind of are examining your hand with their hands. Yeah. That makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Touchy-feely kind of. Yeah. Like sizing my hand up almost, but not, I don't know. This is kind of far-fetched, but I'd like to think that he looked forward to the moment where he might hold my hand as well. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's far-fetched. He's already flown you from another state. On a Learjet. Right, yeah, I don't think it's far-fetched to think that maybe he wants to hold my hand. But you know to Elvis, that's just like getting someone an Uber. (laughs) Hey. Hey, minimizing this. 
Johnny, you stay out of it. <laughs> I imagine when he saw you, though, because I've seen pictures of you, especially when you're young, I've met you. You are a stunning person. You capture people's attention. So he was probably sizing you up the same way you were him, but he was so cool and smooth about it. And you probably were, too. He didn't perceive it the way you were perceiving it, probably. You're so nice. <laughs> <laughs> Did that well, make up for my Uber comment? <laughs> it did. And then some. You've got a little in the bank. <laughs> if you slip up again, it's already covered. Awesome. <laughs> so it okay. seems like we talked a lot, but it really was not very long before we were, were landing. But we talked about turquoise. In his, He was holding my hand with his left hand. In his right hand, I noticed his hand was kind of balled up, you know, like he's holding something in it. Yeah. I noticed he didn't really put it down, whatever it was. He just kept something in his hand. And then he also had one of those little type of cigar cigarette things yes. in that hand. And he rarely put it to his lip, but it's like it sat there and just kind of was lit. And sometimes he'd put it down, sometimes he'd pick it up. And see, I don't remember a ton about being offended at this because I did not date people who smoked. I did not like cigarettes. I couldn't stand the way they smelled. I didn't want to have that in my life. So right. I consciously tried not to have relationships with people that smoked because then you could smoke inside on airplanes mm -hmm. and everything. It's so weird to think about that now because things are so off limits, thankfully. But I didn't remember him smoking where it was on him or but even in pictures I see he had one in his hand you could see the little smoke coming up from it but so I don't know that um, it must have not been that much you know I just don't remember him hardly ever putting it to his lips but I remember he that hand over there and then people would walk up talking about you know when we land this and that like instructional kind of thing and I had already met all the Stanley boys so anyway he said when we land there'll be a car to pick us up and you just stay with me and I'm like oh you're not getting rid of me anytime soon so <laughs> <laughs> uh, so sure enough we land and then you can see behind a fence people it's late I mean it may be midnight yeah. but there are people out there trying to see him I guess they knew he was going to be coming in or something and then there was police cars and limos sitting there and so he said don't worry about your bags the guys will get them and they'll bring them to the hotel and I believe we went to a Hilton that night mm -hmm. so we got in the car drove and I remember going in the back entrance pulling up to the back entrance to the hotel where deliveries and stuff like that are made we go into it like a service elevator and there's security you know in front of us taking us up and stuff like that so we get up to um i don't know if it was the top i think it might have been one of the top upper floors can't remember how tall it wasn't like a big old high rise anyway because mm -hmm. we went on the roof one day for him to get some sun during the times when he would travel it would be hard for him to get outside during the daylight so a lot of times they would take us up on the roof of the hotel so he could just get a little sun you know a little color on his face and some fresh air in the yeah. daytime because you know things were nocturnal the life schedule anyway when we got up to the room all of a sudden I mean, I'm 24, so I'm not a spring chicken, you know, but I am, um, I... 
a little, I guess, a little naive when it comes to thinking ahead in a way. Um, I had never lived this kind of life. So when we got up to the room and they went to unlock the door, um, it dawned on me, what's the setup going to be here? Like, oh, my gosh, I don't even know this man. And uh, here we're about to go. What was I thinking? Or, you know, it suddenly hit me. Am I going to be, you know, because I hadn't thought of any of that. I didn't know what, I just didn't even think it. All I thought about was I'm about to go meet him to go to a show and we'll probably go to dinner. I don't know from there because he didn't tell me how long I'd be there, nothing. And that was all I'm thinking. So at that moment at that door with a crowd of people standing there because they get him in his room and then they all go to their rooms and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like, I didn't, I just kind of petrified, like what is next here? What are what are expectations? To my surprise, I guess, and and not. I mean, I don't know. But when they opened the door, it was into like a, a middle room, like a sitting area. And then we walked to the left, the left of that door, and they opened another door. And he said, I just want you to know, I'm not a makeout artist. You have your own room. I would never impose myself on someone and despite my whatever reputation that I that's not how I am so I don't ever want you to feel any pressure whatever happens with us you will have that decision and he said but here's your room you have privacy to get dressed and I hope we'll spend a lot of time together but this is yours and it was like yellow and white I was told later that the Hilton decorated those suites for him like all their rooms were not like that that the Hilton had sets of rooms that were especially for Elvis but it was a very frilly feminine room had its own bathroom and bed and closet everything and then it opened into a living room kitchenette kind of thing and then on the other side of the living room was Elvis's room so I not only had my room I had a space in between before you get to his so this put your mind at ease a lot I'm sure at this point oh completely I mean I just with every move I am falling for this man more and more because he's so considerate. He is so thoughtful to me. Maybe a lot of people are like that, but this is my experience with him, you know, and he's walking gingerly. He's still himself, you know, he still says what he says, does what he does, but he has you in mind with whatever. And yeah. when he told me not, to, you remember he told me not to pack anything, just to come and he would buy me everything I needed? Yeah. I'm like, no way. Am I going to figure out how to just go shopping? I mean, am I going to go and let him buy my basic needs, like root color? for my hair oh no you know (laughs) or whatever it is you know you probably could have borrowed his no wait you had blonde hair never mind (laughs) right and i didn't again i must be naive but i didn't even know about him until you know later into things i didn't even think about that if his hair was natural or not it just it looked good so i had all my stuff with me but i guess he didn't know whether or not i would so he had boxes of gifts on the bed already there when he ushered me into my room oh wow Um, i know white boxes with big yellow bows and it was nightwear and he said i'm not saying that you don't know how to dress but if you (laughs) haven't lived my life you don't know how to dress in the life that i have because he said we're in the room a lot and i like to be casual like having my pajamas and so there were nightgowns with robes to match so there were things you could sleep in and then 
a robe to match it to go over it that you could wear in the living room when all the guys were in there. Oh, wow. How thoughtful. Yeah. I mean, and they were beautiful, white, frilly, tasteful, not like negligees or anything, but very, um, you know, very with little satin bows, very feminine. Yeah. And so I spent some time opening all that. And um, because I didn't know that people hung out in his suite all the time, you know, for business or he greeted people, you know, dignitaries or whoever lived in that town or was at that show that would come by and see him. Because he really never, at least in my experience, he didn't greet a lot of people before or after the show. Mm -hmm. Like we got there, he would go in the dressing room and usually change change and then get on the stage perform and then out he didn't he didn't change after the show he would get straight into the limo and we'd be gone so there wasn't really a lot of time they're not saying someone never came and said hello but that was not his routine yeah so they would come to the room sometime if he was going to be there for a period of time you know Mm -hmm. so he said if you want to change and get comfortable and come to my room, I'm going to order dinner. And I said, okay. So I got, you know, everything situated and put on one of the lounging attire things. <laughs> like princessy kind of thing. And um, in his room was the breakfast table and chairs and stuff. His room had a sitting area as well as the middle sitting area. Mm-hmm. So he said when I was dressed just to let him know. So in a little while he came over uh, to check call me and everything was okay and so when I was dressed I went out and walked across the little living space to his room and the door was open so I walked in and he of course was very complimentary I said how do you know like my size (laughs) he said I know a lot about you I'm like well because you know we didn't have internet so I'm just wondering how (laughs) he was just good at knowing (laughs) 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 so he came over and he showed me to the table pulled the chair out and sat down you know the table was set it had flowers it was very romantic there was a cart and he said I didn't know what you might want to eat, so I ordered one of everything. And literally, oh, the cart had a silver dome tray with every entree on the menu. Mm. And he just lifted lids and asked me what I wanted. Oh, and I wow. was so nervous. I didn't care. I didn't want anything. <laughs> I just pretty much wanted to sit there and look at him. <laughs> And, and, you know, gosh, how many hours now has it been since I had any food and, and barely anything to drink because just how it was. I'm sure if I'd have said, hey, can somebody bring me something, they would have. But I just didn't want to ask for anything or, you know, I wish I'd been a little more open. But anyway, that's how it was. So he picked a um, hamburger steak with gravy and I think they had fries, onion gravy and I ended up getting the hamburger and fries out of all that stuff, here we were we got two ground beef dishes <laughs> and I thought I'm not really going to eat it anyway so it doesn't matter what it is so I just kind of picked up the fries and he, he asked me if, if the food wasn't good, I said oh yeah I'm just, I'm not very hungry <laughs> You were kind of feeding of his presence is what you were doing, you were taking it all in yeah right i was nibbling at the fries and a little ketchup and then he looked at me and he said oh don't worry about me eat onions because i brought this 
and he held up a little bottle of Banaka. Yeah. Do you remember that at all? I do remember that. That was the popular breath mint of the day. You just dropped <laughs> a little drop of your tongue. Yes. I thought, I thought, how thoughtful to think of that. <laughs> I didn't have any of that with me. <laughs> so, and I thought, how kind of him to, you know, ease my worry if I was worried about that, which I was not. I didn't care. It, it, I wouldn't think thinking that I wasn't even thinking about what was next. I was thinking yeah. about was we're here, we're eating. He is treating me like a queen. He served me. He's trying to make sure everything is good mm-hmm. and comfortable. You're you were know, just being swept off your feet, basically, is what's happening right here. Indeed. Mm-hmm. You know, this, is, this probably was his lifestyle. I mean, you know, it's the way he was, but he was bringing me into his world just one step at a time. That never changed. He always had concern over what do you want what do you need so after he was finished eating he asked me if I was done I said yes and so we got up and moved over to the little sofa thing that was in there and sat and talked some more I saw a little black box over on the nightstand by the bed I just happened to notice that little box because I saw a glimpse of it in his hand on the airplane. Just a little square black box. Mm-hmm. And so when we sat out on the sofa, before he sat down, he walked over and he got that box and he brought it to the sofa. And so we were talking a few more minutes. He said, I have a present for you. And I said, oh, okay. And he opened that box and it was a ring, a diamond and sapphire. And he took it out of the box and he picked up my hand and he put it on my right ring finger. And I thought that explains, you know, why he was fiddling with mm-hmm. and yes. perfectly. I mean <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> and I said, Oh my gosh, is that real? <laughs> and he was so offended. Oh said, no. I would give you a fake ring? And I said, I don't know. I, I why would you give me a real ring? I mean <laughs> Yeah, this isn't normal yeah. in the real world. Yeah. Yeah, I said I don't know. I've never held anything this extravagant, much less owned anything. And it's hard for me to imagine that this is our first date and you're giving me a ring like this. You know, it's like yeah. where do you go from and um I said, I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just so overwhelmed. And he said, yes, it's, it's real. It's a diamond and sapphire. He said, I had it made. My jeweler made this for me to give to you. Oh, and, uh, man. <laughs> yes. And I would later, I would meet Lowell Hayes. He was on an airplane with us when we were coming from somewhere. I can't remember which trip, but he was on the airplane with us with this briefcase full of jewelry that he had made <laughs> for Elvis. He gave a lot of it to me. And then he gave things to some of the other people, like some of the guys had a girlfriend with him that they had been dating. He gave a ring to her one time. Just, um, yeah. <laughs> so wow. then I said, how did you know what size I wore? And he said, I know a lot about you. He said, I know your dad is a truck driver for, uh, I believe it was MR&R Trucking Company. He said, I know you have three sisters and two brothers. And he knew a lot about me. And I know back then, to find out of a person, you'd run a D&B on them, something like that, you know, with Dun yeah. You want another financial life, but I don't know how he knew so much about my personal life and my family and everything. And he said, I just make it my business to know. So I still don't know. I guess you just call and ask questions to people. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. 
strong up. How flattering that he went yeah. to all of that trouble just for you. Well, the, I was very flattered. And then I thought, he's probably trying to make sure I'm not some fruitcake, too. You know, <laughs> if you're brought to bring someone into your life and around everybody you know, and you are the person you are, you know, your status and your fame, you've got to be careful. Yeah. So, I mean, I was fascinated that he knew all that. When I thought it further, I kind of understood why he would need to know extra things about somebody. So that's, he knew all my sizes. That's how, that's why the clothing fit, the ring fit. We got through all the moment about it being real, and I just kept <laughs> staring at it. I was just like, oh, my goodness, this is mine. What if he's going to make me give it back? <laughs> I wonder if I just get to borrow it. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Uh, we talked a little more, and then he said that, you know, we had an early day or a long day the next day. So he needed to go to bed and get some rest and everything. So the next day, we went into the the main living room, and he had breakfast brought in. You know, a lot of the guys were in there milling around. He talked to them about taking me shopping that day. He still remembered that he had told me not to bring clothes, and he had not really he had seen bags, but I don't know that it registered. So mm -hmm. he really didn't know, know that I brought everything I owned just about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everything that I had in California because I couldn't leave anything back there. I didn't know if I would ever be going back. So yeah. he mentioned to the guys about one of them taking me to the mall in that area and he would give them money and everything. And I said, well, aren't you going to take me? And he said, I don't think you realize I, I can't get out like that. There's no mm -hmm. way I could go into a mall and broad day Light and accomplish anything. And he said, people don't know you yet. You could go and you wouldn't get held up. So he started making arrangements for that. And then the morning wore on, you know, people came in and out and then it was going to be time to get ready for the show that night. And he said, I don't think you're going to have time to go after all. And uh, I said, well, it's okay. I brought some stuff with me. He said, well, I just want to give you some money. And at any point, if we have a break where you can go, I can take the guys to take you shopping. And I said, that's okay. I don't need anything. I especially don't want any money. It feels weird. And he said, well, I made a promise to you. And he threw several stacks of bills on the bed all bound up. And you know how when you get it from the bank, it's all bound up in whatever it is. He just kind of threw it on the bed over there. And I said, I really don't. It feels weird to take that. He said, well, just go buy a bunch of lollipops. <laughs> to him, it was no big deal. He was, you know, he couldn't order out like that. He was trying to honor his word and he was a little offended that I looked at it differently than it was. Yeah. But to me, it felt weird. Right. I mean, had we been together and we were, you know, an item and I was dependent on him for my sustenance, that would be different. But he was offended because I made him feel like it was anything other than what it was in his mind and his heart, right. his intentions were pure. Right. So anyway, we were kind of at a standoff. I stood there staring at him. He stood there staring at me. And then he kind of <laughs> turned around and huffed out of the room. Then he came back and he said, okay, we have to leave at whatever time it was. And he said, I'm going to go get dressed. You have a couple of hours. Take your time, but don't be late. He said, everything we do has to be on time. The time we leave determines the time we get there. And everything is scheduled out. So he said, please mm -hmm. don't be late. And I was not the greatest at being on time at that time. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. 
So that made me really nervous because I thought, i got to figure out how to be on time. <laughs> I mean, like, then when you're young, you don't have to do as much to put it together. Mm-hmm. I didn't do false eyelashes and a lot of makeup. You know, I had a very simple routine, simple look. But I was still slow at all the things, doing your hair. We didn't have the blow dryers and all that. So drying your hair was a long process. But I picked out what I was going to wear. When he knocked on the door, I was ready to roll. And he loved what I had on. He took me by the hand, and we walked out and went out to get in the car, the limo thingy, and head to the show. And this would be the first time I would ever see him live and in person. How exciting. So I was. I was on top of the moon and I, I liked what I had on I liked the fact that as soon as I was ready I was going to see him first thing before I went outside before you know I flew 10 hours or whatever I was going to be perfectly ready so he would see me at my very best that he had ever seen me yeah so I was excited about that yeah no matter how I got later he would, he would I would know that he would see me the way I wanted him to see me you know yeah <laughs> so, and I had on that ring and he picked up my hand to make sure I was wearing it as if I wasn't going to. You know, <laughs> he remembered stuff. So yeah, we went down the service exit and the limos were out there waiting and police and, you know, escorts and everything. And we got into the limo. So that would be the first night that the paparazzi would get a picture of me with Elvis and then I would be the mystery blonde for <laughs> a little while. So the picture that you may have seen, I have on a white um, like a halter top evening. Yes. Yes, I have seen that. That was the first night, you know, that we had been out to the show and everything. The pictures were taken, I believe, when we left, not on the way. Well, maybe it was on the way because he has on an outfit that's not what he wore in the show, I believe, in a light blue suit kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But when people would run up to the car and press to the windows and I didn't know how to act. I was just trying to look down, like act like I didn't see it rather than and like now, you know, we take selfies. We're all about it. But then I was trying not to be prideful, pretending like they're not, they're trying to get to Elvis. And of course they are. But they also want to know who's in the car with them. Yeah. It's this is what he said. Don't look away. Look right at them. Put your arm around me and bring your head up next to mine. We're going to play a game with them. And he said, do not tell them your name. They're going to have to find out on their own. And that's our game. So in a picture where you see my hand around his head, yeah. um, he told me to do that. I would never have just like exercised myself toward him in that way, not having <laughs> known him very long. Uh-huh. But he initiated all that. And he told me to put my hand on his knee. All the things I'm doing, he was prompting for the photographer's sake. And then he said, we'll see. He said, we'll see how long it takes him to find out what your name is. And I said, okay. So that was kind of fun. You know, it was. So obviously, he was not trying to hide the fact that there was someone with him other than whoever else had been on the scene in months or, you know, up until that point, this was not a clandestine affair. This was not something in secret. Mm -hmm. He was promoting, you know, whoever this new person was. He was not trying to hide me or sneak me around or anything like that. He was very proud of you more than likely. Well, I like to think so. I mean, he wasn't, like, putting a towel over my head when we were running around. 
someone told me, I forget which one of the guys, that he really uh, was impressed by the pageant thing. Here's an example. If I met Elvis just not knowing anything, and then I found out later he was Elvis, that would make him more appealing. He's appealing in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. if he, he saw me at the gate, and then he found out later I was Miss Georgia, yeah. it was like an appeal on another level. Right. It was impressive to him. I was told he was, you know, impressed, and he wanted to meet the person who could win that pageant, like, I guess, Miss Tennessee, <laughs> whoever <laughs> other it was yes. a little bit of a status, you know. I had a little bit of a status, and um, not that, I mean, I would like to think he still would have taken me out had I not had any of that. Because yeah. he didn't know that when he first told Uncle Vester to invite me in. He really didn't know any of those other details to that extent. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I like to think he treats everybody really sweet and good, but maybe he was a little extra sweet because he had respect to, you know, with pursuing things and trying to make a life. Right. You were more than just a physical attraction to him. Of course, he did the background checks. How, we don't know, but he was very interested in you as a person as well. I hope. I mean, it, it always felt like it. And when I think about it, when you just uh, made that statement, he could have called the people with the Miss Georgia pageant and gotten all that information. Ah. Uh -huh. now they, they never told me that. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's one way, you know, if you think about it, it's one way. And who's not going to give information to Elvis Presley if he calls and asks for it? Anybody but my mom, right? <laughs> <laughs> my mom's just going to hang up. <laughs> now, have you talked to your mom or your family while all of this is going on? Do they know that you're staying in a hotel with the most famous <laughs> entertainer in the world? How do they feel about all of this? No, they don't know yet because there hadn't been a moment where I felt comfortable that, you know, borrow a phone. You know, those are, you kind of have to ask to do that because mm -hmm. we don't have a cell phone and stuff. But a few days in, that does happen. They didn't want to believe me, but I put, I asked them to talk to my sister. And so she got on the phone and talked to them and she started shaking and like tearing up thinking, did I really just talk to him? <laughs> and of course, she's eight years younger than me. She's the one that hung up on him. She's a different one. <laughs> Coming up next, find out how Burt Reynolds ended Diana and Elvis's relationship. EP Boulevard Pawn Shop, owned by John Daly, is the largest dealer of Elvis Presley memorabilia in Memphis, Tennessee. Over the past 22 years, the EP Boulevard Pawn Shop has amassed an impressive collection of memorabilia, ephemera, souvenirs, and original Elvis-owned items, specializing in buying, selling, and trading all Elvis Presley memorabilia. EP Boulevard Pawn Shop offers artifacts from the amazing career of Elvis Presley and has locations inside Marlowe's Ribs and Restaurant at 4381 Elvis Presley Boulevard, as well as a Tupelo location inside Relics Antiques. Shop online at www.epboulevardpawnshop.com. That's www.epblvdpawnshop.com. Or call 901-949-1977. That's 901-949-1977. EP Boulevard Pawn Shop, the largest dealer of Elvis Presley memorabilia in Memphis, Tennessee. 
That's EP Boulevard Pawn Shop. Life and Laughs Podcast. Here they are, Johnny and Elias. We are on the phone right now with Diana. We've been talking about Elvis, but I want to know what role did Burt Reynolds play in your relationship ending with Elvis Presley? Tell us about all of that, how that came about. Well, sadly, (laughs) you know how when Elvis called the first time, how long it took. And after we were together and I went back home, he said, I'm going to call you and I want to take you to my house in Palm Springs in L.A. He he was making all these plans for what we were going to do next. He wanted to do something when he wanted working so we had leisure time and the schedule wasn't crazy and all that kind of thing mm-hmm. he didn't put a time frame you know what i'm saying so yeah. i'm going to call you and we're going to do this and this and this like okay so again i go home and i wait and you know a couple of weeks go by and i don't hear from him and i probably should have considered after being in his life that his schedule is unique. He doesn't just get up one morning and plan to go somewhere unless it's local. Mm-hmm. You know, he plans ahead and the communication there is not, I guess, clear to me because I think, oh, in a few days, he's going to call and we're going to go here and there. Right. Anyway, I got a little restless. My grandmother was from Waycross and she had family in Savannah. Mm-hmm. She wanted to go and visit them and I thought, you know, I think Burt Reynolds is filming a movie over there and I've been trying to get into some kind of movie. And Georgia was just beginning to be a spot, thanks to Burt Reynolds and the Georgia Film Commission. They were starting to do movies here. So my grandma said, yeah, I'd love to go see my brother. So we got in the car. We drove to Savannah. I found out where he was filming, and I just went to the set and um, was kind of standing on the perimeter of where they were working at the time. And somebody came over and asked me, they're like, can we help you? You know, you're... (laughs) You need something? And I'm like, yeah, I want to be in this movie. Uh, Is that what you said? (laughs) I did. I want to be in this movie. Who's charge? That's pretty much what I said. (laughs) And they're like, well, Mr. Reynolds would be in charge. They said, hang on just a minute. And they walked away and came back and asked me to follow them. And they took me over to him. What? And he was directing at the time. Yeah, just walked me right over. <laughs> and they were on break. I feel like that doesn't work for most people. I don't. Th- I don't feel like that is a. Yeah, I don't think we would have got the same result, yeah. Elias. You and I. <laughs> I want to talk to who's in charge of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, then it's kind of a smaller setup. Now, you know, you go out there and you can't get within 100 feet or yards of anybody who's doing anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so privatized and guarded and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But they marched me over to him and introduced me. And he looked at me and said, so you want to be in my movie? I said, <laughs> yeah. He said, okay, come back tomorrow and I will find some work for you. 
<laughs> and so I did. Stayed at my aunt's house with my grandmother for about a week and did extra work on the film. And it was called Gator. Okay. Yes. I don't know if you remember a movie called Gator. Yeah. One of his and, most popular films. Yeah. And I guess, was it one of the first ones that he directed? And uh, Yes. He had a lot of acclaim for his directing and all the work that he did in that mm-hmm. film, actually. He gonna get you, Gator. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel compelled to at least tell you that is not like what I've heard so far on this interview it's not the way normal life works you seem to show up and stand in the perimeter of places and then become the center of attention I, I just feel compelled to let you know for the rest of us mere mortals that's not how things work <laughs> it's pretty um yeah it's pretty unusual. Not for you, though. For you, it seems like that is the way life has gone. And that's good. That's good. I'm just, I just feel compelled to tell you for the rest of us that we look at that and say, well, I stood up and show, you know, stood by a fence and no one invited me to be part of their world. In fact, I got a restraining order once. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. I'm sorry for um, interrupting you. I just, I just had to interject that thought. No, it's okay. It's, it's kind of crazy. As I did. I'm remembering back, you know, wow, how did this happen? And so many times I found myself going, how did this happen? How did I just get here? You know, because it's unusual. A lot of the things that happened were just a little bit different, a little unique. I mean, I didn't get a lot of screen time. I mean, the camera was there and I was working. But what really happened was he gave me an opportunity to make money in front of the camera. Whether I was ever on the big screen or not, he gave me a job and he let me get paid to be an extra. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was in some scenes in a party scene and different stuff like that and then I left and he asked me if I wanted to come back and I think they were going to be in um, Valdosta maybe whatever the next location they were moving to I went back and he let me work some more and then he asked me if I wanted to work on Smokey and the Bandit or his next movie he said and so then I came back and did some scenes with Mr. Big and Little I forgot was it Paul Williams yes yeah and um, (laughs) well and somebody you know Paul Williams okay this was in um, 75 Mm -hmm. well in 19 I think 82 Paul Williams was on Hee Haw and I was in the cornfields with him all those years later and somebody just sent me a picture of us in the cornfields together oh wow how cool there was like yeah like seven years later yeah whatever it was that we were on a set working together again this time I got to talk you know Bert (laughs) never gave me that but he (laughs) made it possible for me to say that I worked on a movie and I got paid to do it yeah he gave me my first job in front of the camera, Burt Reynolds. And we did some, once they found out I was Miss Georgia, you know, I had to let that slip out. Um, <laughs> they did some promotional pictures. And then things started to end up in movie magazines. And so then a little bit of time went by and Elvis didn't call. I talked to Charlie Hodge a few times. Elvis went in the hospital, started to have some health issues. And I just started to work. I mean, I started looking for extra work and and I, I try not to do anything that would tie me down or take me out of state so I could be ready when Elvis calls. Yeah. I didn't want to be in California again, you know? Sure. And so we um, corresponded, I mean, letters. 
books. I sent him books. He lo- loved to read. At that time, I didn't really think about reading. I was not an avid reader, but he was. And so I bought books that he would like. We would talk a little and make plans, but not firm plans. You know, it was enough to keep me kind of hanging on, mm-hmm. you should say. But then when the picture of me and Burt Reynolds hit the movie magazine, I don't know who it was, but one of the bodyguards or someone in Elvis's life took that magazine to him and showed it to him. Uh-oh. So that was it. You know, I didn't know at the time, but I was told later by a couple of the bodyguards that I saw in Atlanta that Elvis saw the picture of Burt Reynolds and me, and he wasn't going to go out with someone who was going out with somebody else because that was not him. You know, we weren't going to compete okay. that way with such a public figure. So that was that. They wouldn't let me talk to him or explain. They wouldn't put me through to him anymore or let me see him. Because I guess once they decided that was that, there was no explanations or any way to let them know this was kind of a PR thing. And I was just trying to figure out a career opportunity and a way to provide for myself because, you know, Elvis was not calling every five minutes and I was not living with him. And he was not responsible for me. Mm-hmm. So all that, you know, it, it was a very hurtful situation because I wanted to ask him, what did you expect me to do? You know, did you really want me to just hang out right. and wait? Were you going to call me a month later and then we would be together for a while and then not? And I even had, when when we were talking um, before, he was making plans for us to do things and all that. And he would ask me what I did what I wanted to do and I told him that I wanted to be in show business I wanted to be on stage or sitcom you know Mm -hmm. and he discouraged it he said that this business will chew you up and spit you out you do not have the skin for it you're too nice and it will swallow you and he said the other thing is if we're going to be together one of us can't work because then we're not together because of his schedule one of us would have to make that sacrifice and that depended on how important it was to you and I was willing at that time you know if he was committed to being together I was willing to put on hold whatever it was I mean I was 25 24 something like that and I thought I've got lots of time we can be together and see where it takes us I mean I don't know about all the other girls but most of the girls that he was involved with for any length of time were young and they didn't have let's see I don't I want to say this in a bad way but they hadn't gone on to find their own careers or their life right you know what I'm saying they were either they're young and not working or young and maybe in the college but not in the working world yet and I had already been you know by 24 I had already been to college and all these pageants and taking classes and trying to find my way part-time jobs you know I'd already been I had my own place although after I won Miss Georgia I moved back home so that I could afford to travel with the pageant and not have to worry about keeping up my own expenses. Yeah. So I was at home at the time when I met Elvis. You know, I was had to figure out how to provide for myself and make a life for myself because I didn't meet him right out of high school. Mm-hmm. And I've got all this going on and I'm going to call and then she's going to move up here with me or whatever. But mm-hmm. that didn't happen in the next five minutes. 
you know, it started to be weeks and then months and we're talking and we're not talking. And then I see him in the news with Ginger Alden. Yeah. You know, and then I'm told by, I can't remember, I think it was Red West that said he doesn't want to see you anymore because you're out there with Burt Reynolds. And then when I wow. try to say, it's not how it looks. He he was giving me a, a shot and this is a promotional picture. Mm-hmm. And um, they're like, no, he doesn't want to see you and we're not going to let you in there. We're not going to let you come see him. So hmm. they were kind of a roadblock there and um, treated, you know, unfairly but you know, maybe I always thought too okay she's serious about pursuing a career so it's not going to work with us yeah because two people can't have a career and they're never together so yeah. that pretty yeah. much and it seemed like if one thing didn't line up or if there was one negative thing that Elvis would move on to the next if it didn't fit his lifestyle or in past relationships I don't know if that's the way it was with you but it sounds like it may have been do you think that he had already met Ginger at the time and maybe was juggling you and Ginger and, and maybe other relationships? Um, I don't think he had met Ginger at the time. Okay. I think that came the next year, even. Yeah. Because I met him in 75 and she didn't meet him till 77 or 76. Yeah, the end of 76, mm-hmm. I believe. Only like six months. Before he died, maybe? Some people say eight or nine months, I think, total, since she first met him. Okay, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I'm sure she met him several months before they actually moved in together and everything. Mm. And I saw, I mean, after the fact, I started paying a little more attention to magazines with him in it because a lot of them had me in it with him. And then they would show him with, I'm thinking, um, after me, the only person I remember that was new was Ginger Alden. There may have been other people that I didn't really know, but I think as far as someone more than a day or whatever, I don't know. I don't mean that mean, but as far as a relationship goes, after me, I think maybe Ginger was the person. Mm -hmm. You probably know more about this than I do. (laughs) (laughs) There's one other girl that I'm thinking could have been during that time. She was actually, she went on to marry James Caan. Sheila Ryan. Sheila was before you. Okay, Okay, I got you. Because I remember... Um, one night, one of the bodyguards came over to where we were standing and had this girl with them and introduced her to Elvis. And he was nice, said, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember her name. And so, now this is all in front of me. And a little bit late, the girl leaves, you know, and then I hear the bodyguard ask Elvis what he thought. Elvis said, she looks too much like Sheila. And I thought, wow. Mm. Are they really trying to fix him up right in front of me? (laughs) Wow. Wow. And I said something to him, and he said, it's a feather in their cap if they can find someone that I like. I mean, he said, don't pay attention to it. It's kind of like everybody wants to be the one who finds the right girl. Although when a girl comes along that seems right, it feels like they sabotage, not they all, but there might have been one or two. It felt like they would sabotage a situation that might have been a good thing. (laughs) But, you know, it's complicated because there's a lot of people around he got a lot of input from people you know and he listened to their opinions a lot because they were in his life a whole lot longer than i was you know and if they thought something might be different than what they wanted or if i you know and back at that time i wasn't really 
a person that, unless it was my family, I wasn't somebody that just went around voicing my opinion on everything. Like I wasn't real assertive. But a couple of times I was, and I was told to mind my own business, you know, when it came to some things that I saw going on that I felt were not healthy. He told you to mind your own business? No, no, he didn't. They did. I got you. Okay. Some of those who were in charge, you know, a couple of situations that made me uncomfortable and I didn't feel were healthy situations and I kind of voiced my opinion on it and was told that I need to mind my own business. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Yeah, I I do that with Johnny a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Tells me to mind my own business all the time. (laughs) So you were there. It's not long after you left, Elvis. He really began to decline. Do you remember where you were when you heard about Elvis passing away. I was in Long Beach, California. And um, after the whole confrontation about the Burt Reynolds picture, it didn't look like it was going to happen again. Yeah. Those plans and all that. And then I think it was, was it late 75 that he went in the hospital for his first kind of lengthy stay that kind of was the beginning of, you know, the health problems and in and out of the hospital. Yeah, that sounds right. I was thinking early 75, but I could be wrong. I know that he had to leave Las Vegas at one point, I think around that time to go back to the hospital. Yeah, it seemed like it was late 75. Could have been. He went, he went in the hospital because I called the house. I mean, I had the phone numbers, everything. I could have just probably driven up there and stormed my way in, but it was a little different. It it was not like a four-hour car ride. It, mm-hmm. it was, you know, you just, a female especially, you just didn't jump in the car and um, start driving up the road. It was just a little different. But remember, he went to the hospital, and I called the house, talked to Charlie, and he gave me, you know, I he said I could send stuff to the hospital or send them to him. He would take him things. They wouldn't put me through to him to talk, and mm-hmm. they wouldn't let me come up there because they said he was, you know, real private about being in the hospital and have a lot of people in and out. I'm sure there were already local people that were closer to him than me. But after that, I think is like when he came out of that and he started to get better and then he met Ginger. And I, it was longer than a day or two. It's just like the timeline that mm-hmm. I remember. Right. So it's like after he came home and got himself together and then other things happened and then he meets Ginger and then I'm like, I need to move on. You know, I can't just keep waiting. So I went to California again to see what I could get going on and I was had a little place in Long Beach, California and I got up one morning and my sister called me and she said, have you heard the news? And I said, no. And she said, turn on the television. And when I turned it on, I saw where he had passed away and you know, it was like a three hour time difference. So I was just blown away. I didn't even know how to think, what to think. And you know, the closure never came. We never just like broke up. We never Mm -hmm. said we're not going to see each other again. There was never a closure. And so when that happened, I thought we weren't done. I mean, I didn't think we were done. Now we're not ever going to have a chance to straighten this out or be together again. And then here I am all the way in California trying to figure out how to get to Memphis. Will they even let me come to the funeral or anything? Because I wasn't like a person who had been around forever and although I feel like now if I had gone it would have been okay they would have let me in and and remembered Mm -hmm. you know because I didn't do harm or anything but 
I opted not to go because I didn't want to get there and face the possible pain of being turned away mm-hmm. by the same people that, you know, I felt stood in the way of our restoring things before. So I didn't come home for it. So yeah, it took a, a lot of years to move past that. So from the time I met him in 75, I didn't get married till 1987 mm-hmm. so I mean and, and I've dated people have relationships but I did it took was that over 10 years before I'd actually um, be in a position where I had moved past enough to you know be able to love somebody else and get married and that kind of thing yeah, yeah. would you knowing what you know now if you could go you know get in a time machine and go back to that Burt Reynolds moment when you're standing there would you have still made the decision to go ahead and be in those movies as an extra you know would you move forward on that or would you just say you know what this is the thing that it looks like caused the derailing of the potential relationship ongoing relationship with Elvis how would you navigate that if you could go back now hmm. well you know everything that happens in your life leads you to the person you are today and right and I'm okay with the person I am today and, and how my life has gone because it's couldn't be any better you know husband and my sons and all that but looking back if I could have had both if I could have still had the life that I ended up having I probably and, and if I had known that it would affect Elvis that much because he didn't mandate me not working he just talked about how tough it was and how emotionally it would be hard and he didn't see me being able to handle that I was a nice person you know fairly naive when it came to the intentions of people mm-hmm. and he was gauging whether or not he was going to be important enough to me to have a relationship with him and lay aside everything I had hoped and dreamed for since I was in high school. You know, I always wanted to be on stage and I wanted a, a career in show business and all that. So if I were to say that all the things I did in those movies, the extra work and whatnot, the people I met, the experience I got, did it really have an input on where I actually landed? Possibly not. So I could have not done any of that and waited for Ellis to call. And if he had called, maybe we would have had a life together. Mm -hmm. Probably not. We wouldn't have had a future because he died, but maybe he would have lived a little longer. Maybe I could have been a positive influence, you know, and then 10 years go by before I would meet my husband and have boys. So if I could still have all that. Right. But the Burt Reynolds thing and the, I mean, I was actually in front of a camera and around Lauren Hutton and Jerry Reed and Lonnie Anderson. I mean, I got to work with people that were huge. So that experience, it was just so much fun and impactful and it just fed that desire to want more but did it actually help me get to the stage and to hee-haw maybe not did you ever actually go out on a date with burt reynolds well we went out after i mean after i saw that there was not gonna you know elvis seemed to be moving on and everything we we kept company you know we were went to parties he took me, but we were not an item, mm-hmm. you know, so um, we hung out and that kind of thing. But he was such a good person, but, you know, to help and he's um, not going to give you a bunch of lines and make you something you're not. Yeah. But he would give you a start, you know, he would put you to work, make you earn some money, stand in the heat or the cold or whatever. See how yeah. bad you want it. Right. Mm-hmm. Going back, if, if I had known it would change things that greatly, I 
probably would have been okay laying that aside and um, giving some time to Elvis. If that's, if he, you know, if it, and who knows, another thing could have happened and we could have broken up down the road. But right, and it sounds like uh, it sounds like that during that season, that was an expression of who you were. You you, were, you had a hard time sitting still. You were a hustler. You went out and, and made things happen. You know, the, so I, I can understand definitely you not sitting still and waiting around more than you did. So that's you know, it kind of spoke to who you were. You, you weren't going to just wait around for a potential of something to happen when you just it weren't clear. Well, yeah. If he had, you know, called regularly and said, just to let you know, think about August. Think about, you know, getting together in August. Something. Anything. Right, right. Then I'm going to call you and we're going to do this. And, and he would, you know, he wanted to do all these things. He wanted to show me his life outside of work. And I was thrilled. And I couldn't wait. I was so excited. But realistically, how long could I sit at home in my yeah. mom's house and not doing anything because, you know, he I wasn't married to him, so he was not going to be my support. And that's not the relationship I was looking for. I mean, if he had wanted me to move to the same city or be with him in a, di- a different type of relationship, I would have looked at that, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't really know what just like the first time I'm going to call you or, you know, bodyguard says I'm going to call you. And then he doesn't for a couple of weeks and I go on my merry way. And mm. I should have learned the first time, huh? <laughs> I should have waited a little longer and he probably would have made good on that promise. But well, in- it was such an unusual circumstance. You know, Elvis's life was not the normal life. Nobody outside of Elvis's world knew what to expect when it came to Elvis. So, I mean, I think you, reacted like anybody would well maybe i don't know i mean because i did kind of have a life i was looking for a life something different and unique but so many days i asked myself that same question what if i'd waited what if what could we have had how could i have helped or would he have listened I mean, he didn't listen to a lot of people in his life when it came to how he wanted to lead it. But I had very definite ideas about what it meant to be healthy and things that were good and things that weren't. But also, I didn't live in his life for years like a lot of other people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they saw things differently than I did. And, you know, you come in and you're kind of a new kid on the block and then you start spouting orders about what you... But it was all in an effort to protect him, to give him the best that he could be in maintaining good health and his life. And But there were some habits that were ingrained in all of those people, yeah. him and everybody that was around him just about, that had been years. You know, yeah. he was 40, 40 years old, I guess, when I met him, mm-hmm. and I was 24. So yeah. they had been around the block doing some things. Nobody knew what combining medicine could do. And, um, you know, you just didn't know back then. Yeah. But I had a I had a gut feeling, though, and I, I knew I didn't. I wasn't comfortable with what I saw, and I cared enough about him. And he listened. I mean, he would listen, and I could talk to him, and uh, he never cut me off or put me in my place or anything like that. It was the people with him mm-hmm. that would cut me off and put me in my place. It might have been hard for anybody. Ellis would have had to love somebody an incredible amount 
more than he had ever loved anybody to change his way of life, you know? And that was a big difference when his mom passed away. A lot changed. And at the same time, he had a lot of pressures on him. Of course, his true love in life was his career, his music, his fans, you know, performing. And in my opinion, I think that he cared so much about making those fans happy. And that's where he felt the true love is when he was on stage performing for fans is that even though he may have mm-hmm. realized, hey, this medicine, these things I'm doing, because he was a smart person. I think he realized to a certain mm-hmm. degree that, hey, this is going in a bad direction. But at the same time, me giving my fans what they want and me receiving what they give to me is more important. And this is what it takes in order to be able to do this or the drugs and the medicines. And, and, and again, at the same time, he's thinking, well, I've got a doctor here that's watching me and, and taking care of me. So nothing really bad is going to happen. You know, in the back of his mind, I think he had a way to justify everything. But the number one thing to him was his music and performing. And then he felt the pressure at the end when the records weren't selling so well. There were no more movies. He had to provide. He himself was a business that provided for probably 50 people. And uh, he had to pay the bills somehow. I had a huge payroll and property and everything. And, you know, he did say that he didn't. I didn't have all these hopes. Well, actually, I did. I had hopes that I would be the one. You know, maybe I'll be Mrs. Presley one day. Sure. But he didn't give any of those folks. He he said he did not picture himself getting married or having any more kids. He mm-hmm. knew his lifestyle. Right. He didn't want to step into a situation that he knew he could not be faithful to or, you know, have another child that he wouldn't be able to take care of because he was working. You know, he was right. gone or traveling all the time, trying to make a living, you know, and trying to get it while it's hot. Mm-hmm. You know, while you're on top. So he didn't give any inclination that he was going to be married to somebody. He clearly said he didn't picture himself ever getting married again or have any more children. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I didn't really plan to have kids either. I didn't picture myself getting married. I just wanted to devote myself to a career or whatever it is that I chose to do. I was going to devote myself to that. And I wasn't even thinking about settling down, being married or having kids or anything. That was not right. even on the radar. I had plenty of nieces and nephews that I could indulge, you know, <laughs> if I got a <laughs> <baby> fever. <laughs> <laughs> It was not in my plan, at least not at that well, time. Well, let's talk about this. You dated Elvis Presley. You met Burt Reynolds, but you weren't done there because you had another chance meeting with another teen idol, Rick Nelson. Tell us about that. Well, my sister lived in Clear Lake, Texas, and I went to, I guess it was Gillies there. I rode the electric bull. I've got a picture falling off the bull. I had a parent in cornrows and pink spandex. I'm sitting on the map where the bull threw me off. But, yeah, that's so I went to visit them. I think we flew into Hobby Airport. We were at baggage claim uh, waiting on my bags, my brother-in-law, my sister, and me, and, um, you know, everybody else standing there waiting on their bags. And we saw this little group a few feet from us, a little group of guys, and I thought, that guy is so cute over there. And we're just all standing there, and 
he looked my way, I looked his way, and we smiled and everything. And next thing you know, we were all talking. And then I found out he was Ricky Nelson <laughs> and uh, his band. They were standing there waiting on their bags. They flew commercial just like we did. So I was talking about them there, visiting my sister and brother-in-law. And then um, they were there to play in a show. And he was actually going to open for Roy Orbison at, I forget the name of this, the place where they were playing. But he asked us if we wanted to come to the show. We're like, yeah, yeah, that would be great. So he said he would leave passes at the door. So we all got our bags and went our separate ways. And so that night we went to the show and he had his front row seat. Roy Orbison, I mean, you know, he came out and sang. And then um, after the show, came out and got us and asked if we wanted to go to his week to a party, an after party with all their group and everything. So we did. And um, we stayed up all night long and they were flying out, I think, the next morning. So we just all stayed up and talked and had a blast. Exchange phone numbers. So then he lived in California. So he told me when I got back home, because I was living in California too at that time. So when you get back, call me and we'll get together. So I did. We went out a couple of times and then I went to another one of his shows. Some time had passed in between. And so... And he was single. You know, he had already gotten divorced and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it wasn't really long after that he was killed in the plane crash. Yeah. So How crazy you met said, him at an airport, too. I was thinking that when you said that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that not long after that that he lost his life in a plane crash yeah but let's not ignore the fact that once again you were standing in the perimeter of someone <laughs> and found yourself <laughs> the focus again i think i just want to hang out with diana just to be in her presence for all these good things diana i've got some people face. i want to connect with if you can just help me stand in the perimeter so that way we can be noticed <laughs> <laughs> it is funny because when I was writing, before we wrote the book, I said, I do not want to come off looking like a groupie because I did not go after any of these people. It, we just happened to be in the same space. Right. You know, whether it was on the Hee Haw show, people I worked with, or before that in an airport. You know, how innocent is that? You just at baggage claim and there's Ricky Nelson and next thing you know you're at his show and, and you're like now how did I get here? I yeah. found myself all the time going how did this happen again? You know it's <laughs> yeah. like there was a purpose greater than maybe I ever understood and maybe I wasn't mature enough to ever figure out why or the what but I got to meet some really fun people had some very memorable experiences some of people. Yes, you have. And you've written a lot about all of these stories and people can get your book. Tell them how to get your book. And what's the, what's the title again? Hollywood Light Nashville Night. And it's yes. on Amazon or all the booksellers. Or if you want a personalized copy, you can go to my Facebook page, Hollywood Light Nashville Night, Diana Goodman, and you can order one directly from me and I'll sign it and send it to you myself. I have to ask you about this, too, because as fate would have it, you ended up being a hee-haw girl with Elvis's ex-girlfriend, Linda Thompson. How was your relationship with her? Well, at first, it was a little a, a little nervous, you know, because I didn't know. And, of course, then she was married to Bruce Jenner. She had moved on with her life and all that. Mm -hmm. And um, we worked together for, I don't know, a few days before anything ever came up. And one day, we were in the dressing room 
and all the girls had one huge dressing area and uh, all our wardrobe was there and, you know, bathrooms and makeup, all, all that kind of stuff. So one day I was in there uh, getting dressed for something and Linda was in there at the same time. And that was the first time we had ever been alone. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, maybe she won't see me. I turned my back to her. I act like, you know, I didn't see her or anything. And suddenly I hear her say, you know, I remember you. And I said, um, you do? She said, yes, you dated Elvis. And I said, I did? <laughs> yes, Uh-oh. I did. What me? What me? Uh, <laughs> hide behind this haystack oh over here. <laughs> I wanted to say, but y'all already broke up. I mean, I don't know. I didn't know. <laughs> but. And really, they were already, um, I don't know how to describe what they were. All I know is they couldn't have been together, real together, because he would not have been publicly taking me out and posing for pictures. I think there was still a friendship there and a loyalty, and their families were connected, you know, her brother. and Yeah. Um, there was a thick connection there. But I know, you know, it wasn't real long before she moved to California and Mm -hmm. started her life out there. So, I mean, I think that may have been why she she didn't really hold it against me or anything, because she was already in the process of moving on herself, I believe. And we didn't talk about that. Mm -hmm. We just kind of got that out of the way. And then later, she asked me if I wanted to go out with Bruce's manager and we double dated. Bruce's manager's name was George Wallach, I think. And they fixed me up with him. We went out a few times. We went to a show that, well, a benefit that Bob Hope was doing. Oh, wow. And Bruce and, oh, uh, what is it got? Merlin? Merlin Ellison? Is that his name? Oh, wow, yeah. He and Bruce were in the show. So anyway, we went with all them. Is this Merlin Olson, the, the guy from uh, Little House on the Prairie? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Uh-huh. He and Bruce okay. were just all good friends. We all went together to this benefit. And then we went out to a restaurant and a show one night. And then we went to George's house. And so we kind of all became friends. I mean, you know, Linda had her own life and all that was behind her. And she didn't hold it against me. And I didn't hold it against her didn't have any reason to but we became friends who could hang out and a lot of the girls we go to lunch together and stuff like that so it really became a non-issue never came up again we never talked about it we didn't compare notes we never brought it up again after that one day in the dressing room you know she was very gracious we just let it go after that well it seems like both of you are both genuinely really sweet good nice people (laughs) i mean she she lived her life after Elvis. Well, I mean, we all did. Priscilla, me, we, our careers began after we knew Elvis. My life kind of started before as far as branching out and, and getting involved and things like that because I was a little older. Mm-hmm. But everybody kind of went on and made a life for themselves, whether it was marrying children or careers. But we were all very close. I hadn't seen Linda in a lot of years. She hasn't been into any of the hee haw reunions or anything like that but you know she lives in california and that's where her life is and she just hasn't been able maybe it's scheduling hadn't been able to um come to any of the stuff but our 50th reunion was last june and marianne rogers came and lots of the former cast members how cool. How cool. Of course, a lot from that show probably passed away, but what an experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a life you have lived. I, again, I just want you to come hang out with me in front of Margot Robbie's house and see what happens. 
<laughs> my nephews and Linda's son, you know, used to be on set together. And yeah. uh, when I tell my nephews now, they're like, you mean we used to play with the Kardashian kids? I'm like, well, no, they were the Jenner kids. Then yeah. <laughs> Kardashian kids later. Yeah. Oh, I, have, I have another fun airport story. I did not put it in my book because at the time, this man was going through some stuff um, in his personal life that was very public. And I didn't want to do anything to draw attention to him, even positive attention. You know, I just right. I took the whole chapter out about him. Okay, okay. Because I just felt like he was going through enough. But after I got on the Hee Haw show, um, my sister flew to Nashville, my younger sister, to hang out with me. She did that a lot. And um, she was single, 10 years younger than me. But she would fly to Nashville and stay a couple of weeks or so while we were filming. And then she would go back home. We were at the baggage claim. Mm -hmm. I mean, in this, it sounds so far-fetched. You could ask her if this is true, and she'll recount everything. We were at the baggage claim waiting on her bag, and there was a guy standing off waiting on his bag. And they may have been on the same flight, but she didn't know it. But anyway, she said, do you see that guy over there? And I said, yeah. She goes, do you know who he is? I said, no. And she goes, that's Bo Duke. And I went, <laughs> who? She said, you know, the Duke's the hazard guy. I went, oh, gosh, yeah, you're right. And we're all, you know, we're all looking at him and smiling and all that. So we get her bag and we go outside and we we lost sight of him. He must have gotten his bag and walked on out. But we go out to the front where we're going to get the car and we see him standing there at a payphone. We stood there for a second. And he hung up the phone, and he just kind of stood there looking around. So my sister said, I want to go over and get his autograph. And I'm like, okay. So she walked over, asked him for his autograph, and he gave it to her. And then I just said to him, I was like, do you need a ride? He said, actually, I do. Dottie West was supposed to pick me up, and she didn't come. I can't get her on the phone. Do you mind taking me to her house? And we're like, sure. And I had this little rental car. He hauled, um, they would put us in hotels, give us food money, and give us a car for a month. That was all included in our contract. So yes. I had this little car. So he got in the back seat of the car and directed us to Dottie West. Do you know Dottie West? Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Well, he was going to do a duet with her. He's going to okay. be staying at her house. So we took him to her house. Wait, he wait a minute. Did, car, he, when he got it, when he got in the car, did he just go through the window or did he open the yeah. door? Did he slide across the hood first? Yeah. Did he pop through the window? <laughs> <laughs> did he yell yeehaw at any time? Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, that was so funny. He, um, he was a little sheepish because he was like, he was John Schneider. I mean, and his ride stood him up. So, <laughs> the thing he's known for, a vehicle, was not there. That's right. <laughs> so when he went to get out of the car, he handed me a piece of paper with his phone number and Dottie's phone number. And he said, we're going to be recording in the studio tonight. Do y'all want to come? Come on now. Like, come on. Yeah. You know this is and not this is did. not the way the world operates. I believe uh, we it. Are taking, hey, Elias, <laughs> believe we are taking it. Diana. We are going to take <laughs> Diana to Las Vegas. We are going gambling. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, yes, 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 yes. 
And you can you can ask my sister Crystal. She will verify every word. I don't have to. There's enough evidence that you are you are telling the truth. But dear Lord, this is not normal. This is not normal functioning humanity. I'm expecting Publishers Clearinghouse to arrive at my door any minute just because we're on the phone together. I just need a life size cutout of you that I just position in different places where I need things to work out for me. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, we did go to the studio that night. Of course. And, um, another thing that happened, my brother also came up, and so all of us went to the studio, and uh, he and Dottie West kind of hit it off a little bit, even though she was a little bit older than he was. And we listened to them sing and record and everything, and then after that, I invited John to the Hee Haw set the next day. And he's like, yeah, I'd love to do that. So he came to the set and I introduced him to the producers and everything. And he kind of hung out for a while. And then the producer came over and asked if he might want to be in a skit. And so I was going to say, I remember right him being on Hee Haw. I remember watching him on the Hee Haw show. Well, yeah, this at this point, they wrote up quick a little skit for him to be in with the girls. I think it was we're not ones to go around spreading rumors or something like that. So they put him in a couple of skits and then they asked if he wanted to come back and actually take some skits and do a song or two. And so they set that up for later. But I actually introduced him to the producer and all. And then he went to lunch with us. We went to Shoney's. And ate lunch, you know, spent a lot of time together. And then he lived in California, but his mom lived in Atlanta. And that's where my family was. So we exchanged phone numbers. And when we got back to California, we got together. We dated for a while. And had a blast. <laughs> we went camping and played chess and drank apple brandy. He was awesome, awesome, awesome guy. We had a conflict in schedule that caused us to stop dating for a while. He, you know, I was doing stuff, he was doing stuff, and we, it seemed like when I would invite him somewhere, he was busy and vice versa, and we just kind of just didn't see each other anymore. But he was awesome. I was crazy about him. But, you know, when my book was being written and about to come out, he was going through a really awful divorce. Even though everything I have to say about him is positive, I just didn't think he needed it. He didn't need yeah. any attention or any anything from the past and um, we opted before it went to publisher to pull everything out about him but I did bring him at the baggage claim it's <laughs> 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 so great that's so great and he is still he's still a great guy now he's married again I mean I just can't seem to catch a break yeah. with him he's always busy <laughs> Well, you know, Elias, Elias is good friends with another cast member from the Dukes of Hazard that played Coy Duke. Yeah, he, he was right after uh, John uh, exited the uh, the the show, I believe, and that's uh, that was that was the new it was the new uh, new character, and his, Byron Cherry is his name. And our our, our daughters yeah. are actually really yeah, her, his daughter and my daughter we kind of they kind of live at each other's houses, you know, so we just don't even question; they just walk in the front door, kind of thing. And so they're both in uh, going in ninth grade and and so we find ourselves at each other's houses just staring at each other a lot <laughs> how fun see there you are yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not as flat. I didn't meet him at baggage claim, you know. I didn't. <laughs> you probably have a better story than I do, then. <laughs> oh no, I don't know. Oh, I have no. a, I have a feeling he wasn't buying lingerie for Elias and flying <laughs> him across the country. I'm just, right. I'm just imagining. Right. 
<laughs> There's no jewelry on Elias's hand right now. Yeah, from because believe uh, me, it Harry. would be in the book. It would be in the book. <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> y'all, are, y'all are hilarious. <laughs> what a wonderful time talking to you. We have found yeah. out so much about you. You have one of the most amazing lives ever. I don't know that one book is enough. You may have to do a sequel to that book. Well, you know, I mean, I thought maybe, but I don't know if anybody would be interested in my post-show business life because I become normal, not not that I was not normal before, but life became very almost like Mayberry-ish, you know? <laughs> I just yeah. withdrew from pretty much everything when I got married. I only wanted to be at home. That's all I wanted to do and um, raise my son. Until we started talking about doing the book, I was pretty much unknown. I mean, my friends and people started to find out stuff about me. They're like, what? You knew Elvis? Or you want him? Because nobody knew. I was just a, like a, not a soccer mom, but a football mom, just hanging out yeah. in my overalls and t-shirts. <laughs> but... And it's now you have you have grandkids? I do. Five. Five One grandkids. Four granddaughters. Yeah. We all live within about 10 minutes of each other. So I get to see them a lot. And they are so fun. It's, it's so different. You know, it's fun raising your own kids, but you have all that responsibility that goes with it. And you have to discipline, you know, and mm-hmm. do all that stuff. And with your grandkids, you just get to have fun. And then when it's time to go to bed, give them back to their parents and come home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is precious. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. And I can tell you, when I met you in Memphis at John Daly's Elvis Con, you were so personable, so sweet, so nice as could be. You're just a really impressive person and still gorgeous to this day. I can see why Elvis would have chosen you standing at the gate looking on his camera. (laughs) (laughs) You're so sweet. (laughs) So nice. We can't thank you enough for being on the show. Yes, can't thank you enough. Again, tell everybody again how they can get your book. If you go to Facebook, Hollywood Lights, Nashville Nights, Diana Goodman, you can send me a private message and I can mail you a personalized book or you can go to Amazon or Walmart.com. I mean, the big time. Wow. And all the sellers. I know when it came up on Walmart, I said, okay, we made it. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, after all this, there's still some poor cab driver out there saying, I never got paid. <laughs> Yeah, his check is waiting here. <laughs> you know where he's at. He's at the airport in baggage yeah, claim waiting. Uh, after he hears that, after he hears this podcast, he's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. It was so fun. So fun. Thank you so much. Next trip to Vegas, we're going to meet you at the baggage claim at the right. airport. Yep. And uh, we're heading to Vegas. We're going to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see who we can see. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. It's really nice to talk to you guys. Appreciate it, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Up next, it's Elvis Trivia with a very special guest.
For 45 years, Marlowe's Ribs and Restaurant, located at 4381 Elvis Presley Boulevard in Memphis, has been providing the best in Memphis hospitality to locals and visitors from around the globe. Elvis Presley himself loved Marlowe's, and you can even sit in the Elvis booth where he himself ate. Marlowe's has tastes that will satisfy anyone's palate, including their award-winning barbecue pork, ribs, beef brisket, barbecue shrimp or their famous Italian style barbecue spaghetti. You can even try the King's signature peanut butter and banana sandwich grilled on white bread and served with two slices of bacon or the Elvis burger, crisp bacon, smoked ham, and American cheese. A burger fit for the King himself. Along with visiting Graceland, visiting Marlowe's for a meal while you're in Memphis is a must. Located only one and a half miles from Elvis's home, Graceland. Marlowe's not only provides a great family atmosphere and great food, they will even pick you up in one of the Elvis-themed pink limousines from some of the local close-by hotels, shuttle you right to Marlowe's, and drive you back when you're finished, all in the style Elvis himself would be proud of. So next time you're in Memphis, make sure you stop by Marlowe's at 4381 Elvis Presley Boulevard, or you can order online at marlowesmemphis.net or or call 901-332-4159. Come enjoy the ultimate dining experience at Marlowe's. Two men who once slept in the bubble hatchback of a friend's Daytona car in Panama City Beach because they had no money. Johnny and Elias. Welcome back to Life and Laughs Podcast. Now it is time for Elvis Trivia. All right, all right, all right. Today for Elvis Trivia, we are going to be playing Finish This Elvis Quote. Mm -hmm. Finish the Elvis Quote. Okay, now I have got a number here, but it doesn't have a name. We got several messages on our Facebook page from this person, but it has no name on their headline, and they didn't leave a name. Yeah, 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 I've been wondering about this. We just have a number, so we're going to call this person and see who this is. Okay, it's Pretty ringing. Excited. Pretty excited about this. Well, hello? What? Oh, no. What? Hello? <laughs> Hi, Elias? Is that you guys? What are y'all doing? Bill, it's Dr. Bill. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Bill is here. <laughs> Dr. Hi. Bill. I have been trying to get you guys to call me, I want to play a game, all right? Oh, we've got a perfect game. Listen, I haven't even revealed these uh, quotes, these Elvis quotes, to Johnny, so he hasn't seen any of these, but you know how this is. Johnny is pretty much an expert on all things Elvis, so what we're going to do is right. I'm going to give you ten quotes from Elvis, and I'm going to allow you to try to finish the quote. It'll be you, Dr. Bill, versus Johnny Sanchez. You guys ready? for this? Hey, let's do it. Let's go. You ready, Dr. Phil? All right, it's Dr. Bill. Dr. Oh, Bill. I'm Not sorry. Dr. Hey, Dr. How many times have I been on this show? All right? Oh, you know. called me and you don't even know who you're calling. All right, go ahead, Lush. Dr. Bill, I apologize, and I'm not even the one that should be apologizing. Okay, hey, number you're one. Right. Number one, here's here's the first quote. The first quote goes like this. Man, I was... <laughs> I'm going to try my best Elvis voice on it. All right, do man, it. I, man, I was tame uh, compared to what they do now. Are you kidding? I didn't do anything but just blank. Uh, Once again... Hey. 
Okay. Hmm. Go ahead, Doctor Bill. Didn't do anything but but just actresses. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, I don't know. <laughs> Johnny, you want to give it a crack before I give you guys some multiple choices? Man, I didn't do anything but just jiggle. Yep, jiggle is the correct answer. Jiggle oh, is the good answer. answer. So barking one down, barking one down, which is um, kind of the same answer as Dr. Bill uh, said. Uh, let's see. Yeah, number, two. number two, the image is one thing and the blank is another. It's very hard to live up to an image. Now, what is I, the blank stamp? The image is one thing, and the blank is another. The man. (laughs) Okay, okay. That's exactly right. The man. The man. That's what he said. That's what he said. Good job. Now, one goes to Dr. Bill. One goes to Johnny. I'm marking it down right here. No reason to even put the lid back on this uh, pen. All right, number three. A live concert to me is exciting because of all the blank that is generated in the crowd on stage. (laughs) Hi. I'm going to say energy. (laughs) That's a good guess. Uh, But the correct answer, Dr. Bill, is electricity. Johnny, coming in hot. (laughs) What's the difference? All right. You you tried to get all technical. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, Number four. Number four. Until we meet again. (laughs) No, no, no. no. Sorry. Until we meet you again, may God bless you, blank. Until we meet you again, may God bless you, blank. Dr. Bill, would you like to go? Immensely. Okay. May God bless you immensely. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. What, what do you got, Johnny? <laughs> may God bless you. Adios. Adios. Adios it is. Hey, did John put this game together? No, he didn't. He just happens to know everything that Elvis ever said. So. Hey, uh, I think you're right. But that's all right. That's all right. I feel a second win coming here because you got one on the. You're not. You're not going to be wiped out. You got one on the board, Doctor Bill. So all right. doing good. Okay, number five. When I was a child, ladies and gentlemen, I was a blank. Let me repeat. I was a boy. Uh, ooh, um, Johnny, what do you got? Is that all of it? That or is uh, there more? when I was a child, ladies and gentlemen, I was a blank. That's all. That's all. That's on this piece of paper I'm okay. holding. Okay. There's a couple of different quotes that I'm thinking of, but I'm going to no, go with, when I was a child, I was a dreamer. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was much like Vince Neil of Motley Crue, one of my one of my favorite bands. You know, I'm a dreamer. Remember that? <laughs> yep. Elvis, <laughs> right, that's where he got yeah. um, But my I rock on. Yes. Okay, number six. Number six. Uh, wait a minute. Did I mark uh, Johnny one more point uh, on there? And actually, that line came from his 1971 acceptance of the JCs, one of the most outstanding men in the country award that right, no. we actually had Bill Morris on the show who nominated him for that and was there just a couple of episodes ago. Well, thank you. I Bill remember Morris, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Johnny grade grubbing now. Um, number six, number six. <laughs> I, I learned very early in life that without a blank, the day would never end without a blank. A man ain't got a friend. Without a blank, there's three blanks, ladies and gentlemen. This, uh, a road would hey, never be. I'm going to say song. <laughs> yes. 
That's correct. That's also from the same speech in 1971. Ooh. Dr. Bill, here's what I'm going to do. Because there were three blanks, I'm giving you three points. No! Yeah. No way! Yeah. And right now, I, I it's think a that's fair. Right now, it's a tie. <laughs> right. That's fair. That's only fair. Thank you. It was three blanks. You you got it right. You got That's it, man. You're fired, man. You're off the payroll. <laughs> we don't have enough sponsors for that to make a difference. Sorry, All right. Get him a plane, man. Get this <laughs> a plane. Um, let's see. Here's the next one. The first time that I appeared on stage, it scared me blank. Dr. Bill? Uh, uh, I'm going to say stiff. Okay. Okay. Mm. And I used to know this one. This is one that's not coming to me. So can you repeat the question or the statement? Let me hey, do you need to phone a friend? <laughs> if, if you can't think of it, I'm going to give you guys multiple choice and, okay. and let you pick from there. Okay. The first time that I appeared on stage, you know, I don't, I don't sound like Elvis. I sound more like a televangelist. That's what I feel like. I sound like sound a like uh, a cross between a televangelist and Johnny Cash. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, Johnny Cash. Oh, I wish I sounded like Johnny Cash. I, yeah, I sound like I'm about to sell you some end time buckets. Okay, so uh, the first time I appeared on stage scared me blank. It's two words. It scared me blank blank. Can we have the multiple choice? Okay, all right. Yeah, well, this is going to be half a point, okay, because I'm giving you options. Okay. It's It scared me, A, to death, B, real bad, C, like crazy, and D, so much. Hey, I'm going to say to death. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. I knew it. I almost said it earlier, but I thought it was something different. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's All right. right. Guess be. who's just I, taking the lead? Just I taking think the I'm lead. Winning. Dr. Phil. <laughs> what a crazy time we Cheater. live in. Dr. Phil's cheating. He's not cheating. He got I, it legit. There was three blanks in that one question. That's three points. That's legit. That's right. Number eight, if we're we're done squabbling over that, uh, Mac and Roll, it's number eight is we grew up with it. It more or less puts your blank at ease. It does mine. (laughs) That's an easy one. (laughs) Uh, We we grew up with it. It more or less puts your blank at ease. It does mine. I'll let Dr. Bill go first again, though. It's only fair. Well, I'm not real sure, but I'll say money, although I don't believe he grew up with much money. Uh, <laughs> we we grew up with it. It more or less. But I, I think you're focusing on the growing up with it when that's you can't not necessarily help him. You, you No, listen, Dr. he Dr. specializes Bill. in the way people think, and I want him to be able to think clearly. About this, he's given so much to others. He's planted seeds. Uh, it's time for him to be able to harvest this a little bit. Doctor Bill, don't worry about the first part of the sentence where it says we grew up with it. That's not the reference that he's trying to pull on. It more or less puts your blank at ease. Focus on that part. Well, hey, push your mind at ease. Not fair. Not what are you talking about? Not fair. He just said the answer. I read the question. He said the answer. Fair and square. Guess who's two points in the lead? Now, Johnny, you're going to have to get, in order just to tie with Dr. Bill, you're going to have to answer both of these questions correctly. I should get to go first. <laughs> All right. We can switch it up. We can switch it up. I think that, okay, that probably is fair okay. that we, we, we let uh, Johnny go first. Okay. Uh, Johnny, uh, number nine. Dr. Bill, get ready. You're on You're on deck. Some people tap their feet. Some people snap their fingers. And some people sway back and forth. I just sort of blank, I guess. 
I just sort of do it all. <sighs> is it, uh, do them all together? It it is it. it it equals do it all. It's do it, do them all together. Do so, them all together, yeah. So, yeah, you know what? That's uh, that's a legitimate point. That's the legitimate hey, that, point. <laughs> he, know, he knows his Elvis. This is going to be the, the speed question, okay? So both of you are allowed to answer is, is immediately when it comes to your mind because this is the tiebreaker, right? Wait a minute. One, two, three, four, five, six for Dr. Bill. One, two, three, four, five for Johnny. Johnny, you, you answer this one first, and then we'll have a tiebreaker question, okay? Okay. If you hey, don't hey, John answer this, may crash and burn here. Yeah, if you don't answer this one first on your own on your own podcast – on the subject that you hold the dearest to your heart, you've lost to probably one of the people that you despise most on earth. Number 10. It's my favorite part of the business, blank. It's my favorite part of the business, Performing. Blank. Performing. That's not, uh, that's not the quote. Uh, singing. I will say it's two words. Hi, can, can we have the multiple choice? Yes, multiple choice. Now, neither one of you answer anything till I get done with all four options, okay? Okay. All four I options. Can't wait, I think we should be able to go as soon as we hear it and say no, that. No, 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 you are not in charge of this. Okay. <laughs> hey, John will cheat if you can't tell. Okay. Cheat? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, option one, making movies. Option B, meeting fans. Option three, making records. And option four, live concerts. Hey, I'm going to go with live concerts. <laughs> live concerts. <laughs> Which I knew. Live I concerts. Have- right. hey, I'll try to tell you. Live concerts. Guess who gets another mark? And that is seven to minus, five, ladies and gentlemen. Minus the two that you gave him three no, points for. That was legitimate. <laughs> if a question has three blanks in it and the and you get a point per blank, then that's a legitimate score. And I let him go first on the first, what, seven? Mm. <laughs> I hesitate to use the word let in this situation. <laughs> hey, you you lost, all right? <laughs> we we've talked about getting real, real is you lost. All right? You crashed and burned. <laughs> I was going to give you a Cadillac too, but forget it now. <laughs> all right. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to introduce the winner of this game today, the one who was so persistent about getting on this game oh, show. Look on out. This oh, the phone just... Oh, oh look, come uh, on, man. Uh, uh, oh, we just lost Dr. You can't keep hanging up on Dr. Bill. That's First you call him Dr. Phil, and now you hang up on him every time. Oh, man. Oh, man. That was an accident. My bad. What a great show today. Thank you once again to our guest, Diana Goodman McDaniel. Also, I guess we got to thank Dr. Phil. I mean, yes, Dr. 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 Bill. B-I-L. <laughs> One <Bill>. L. <laughs> hey, also, thanks to our sponsors, EP Boulevard Pawn Shop. Check them out at EPBLVDPawnshop.com. And Marlowe's, where all the real Elvis fans eat and hang out on Elvis Presley Boulevard, one mile from Graceland. Thanks again to our MC, Mr. Rick Viper. 
Hey, be sure to join us next week. Elias, we're continuing the Elvis series with someone else that also dated Elvis, Miss Mindy Miller. She's going to be here to tell her fascinating story next week. And after that, Elias? Yeah, Billy Stanley, Elvis's stepbrother. You will not believe some of the stories he tells. He actually lived in the house with Elvis, grew up there in the house with Elvis as a little boy. Him and his brothers worked for Elvis all the way there to the end. He was there, so look forward to that coming up on the next two episodes of Life and Laughs podcast. Until then, be sure to subscribe to the podcast as soon as it ends, so you'll be notified when each new podcast is released. It helps us to continue to bring you new podcasts each week. And be sure to like and share the podcast on social media for a chance to win a brand new Life and Laughs podcast t-shirt. Just tag us in it so that we'll see that you did it, and we will enter your name in the drawing. Hey, be sure to follow us on social media. On Instagram, it's life underscore and underscore laughs underscore podcast. And on Facebook, that's facebook.com forward slash life and laughs podcast. And until our next episode, remember to live life. Love everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And love everybody. And live everybody. Live life, live everybody, and live always. (laughs) Just forget it. As Elvis would say, on heck with you. (laughs) On heck with you.